everybody to episode 38 of yep. Encounter the RPG yep. Podcast. Oh, shut up, all of you. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. Uh, this is our big, special, whoop-de-doo, super smi- happy smile family wish show episode, grand finale, end of the year. And we're here to talk about 2011 and all the things that went on and a little look forward into 2012. Joining me is the regular podcast crew. We have the man with many titles, including one we can't talk about. Um, this is John McCarroll, malevolent leader. Um, I'm Keeper X on our forum. Malevolent <laughs> Wow. It's like benevolent, except the opposite. It's good to know the power hasn't absolutely corrupted you yet. God, this is so concerning. Uh, we have the man with many giggles and a crappy, what is it, Chinese battery running your laptop? Yeah, I'm Steven Meyerink, and I'm Taylor's on the boards. Okay, and then the little Harry Potter fan in us all, the child that brings... Wait, no, no! I'm a Harry Potter fan, too. Yeah, but you don't dress up like it. Hey, that's for charity. Haters gonna hate, Rob, but but Haters I do that for hate. the children. I'm Zach Pinchick. I'm super flat child? on the board. I am 21 years of age. All right, he can drink, ladies and gentlemen. I've been like that for six months. Oh, goody. We're here to talk about 2011 and all the games that have happened and different things that we're seeing in the industry right now. We kind of treat, we kind of keep the end of the year show as a little free form, just kind of talking about whatever we want to talk about, games we want to talk about. Uh, 2011, also known as the year Mega Man died. Also known as the year of Dark Souls. Hey, did you guys play Dark Souls this year? <laughs> I played that. Might have played it's a such an awesome game. <laughs> we'll get to that. Uh, but we'll get to that. But uh, all right. So, so what do we want to start talking about here, guys? Do we do we kind of want to talk about some of the releases of the year? And... Look, yeah. You guys spend like the next five minutes talking about Dark Souls, and I'm gonna go to the bathroom. Oh. <laughs> Don't actually go to the bathroom unless you like have to, because we. No, I know. All right, all right, all right. Uh, so why don't we talk about some of the games that came out like in the early part of the year? So. Uh, really early, we had the uh, Mass Effect Arrival DLC, the last one for Mass Effect Two. Yeah, see, and I still haven't played it. Like, it, should I play it? I, I think it's great. Um, I, Bioware said when they were doing Mass Effect 2 that they were aiming to make the DLC not as awful as it was in Mass Effect 1 and also more frequent. And I think they I – mean, I personally think they really succeeded in that. Um, all, I played all of the DLC at once because I waited until I got back from Japan. And I think it was all great. Operation Overlord was great. The only one that was kind of stupid was the, the – car one the car specific one but well, and that one was free yeah so i mean really it was pretty much just a hey look what we can do we're going to put this in the later dlc but arrival was actually really good it it does it sets up for the intro of mass effect 3 for why shepherd is on earth and i mean i think it was fun it wasn't the strongest of the dlc that was the layer of the shadow broker i thought yeah um, layer of the shadow broker was easily the best but it, it was very good and i think I just think it was it's good that they they kept good on that promise to you know make the DLC more frequent and more impactful than with like, Mass Effect One. It, it sets it up really well for Mass Effect Three, and and because that was its primary objective, it's good for that reason. I think had you had changed the story or make it something else, it wouldn't have been the strongest piece. I agree. Uh, you know, but but it does a good job at setting up the story, and that's really all it needs to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's. I'm trying to think of a good example. You know, we've we've had things like uh, it, it's the Dead Rising case zero. Oh, okay. okay. For for Mass Effect three, pretty much. Yeah, it it pretty much it explains why Shepard will be on Earth at the beginning of Mass Effect three when all hell breaks loose, which we're all looking forward to. 
Well, uh, to go along with uh, the Arrival DLC, I think we, we have to talk about one of the bigger releases from BioWare this year. And it's a release that I think is really important that we talk about because I, as people start putting together their you know Game of the Year lists and whatnot, I see this game coming up over and over again as like a big disappointment. I've actually included it as my disappointment of the year. But when I say disappointment, I'm not saying that it's a bad game. And, and the game we're talking about is Dragon Age 2. And I I think John really hit the nail on the head. We've talked about the game multiple times, but people are putting it down as like, oh, this is a travesty of a game. It's it's freaking awful. And John, what was your little insight now, into it? Well, his, you know, p- people are transposing what is the worst game and what is their personal most disappointing game. Because, you know what, I, 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 I was not a huge hardcore Dragon Age Origins fan. I said so in my review of Dragon Age 2. I still stand by my review of Dragon Age 2. I feel like Dragon Age 2 is an above-average RPG. You know, yeah. I, I think it, you said it best already, John. I think a couple of months ago you even said it's not a bad game. It's a bad Bioware game. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, it's just really frustrating for me to see people you know, saying that, oh, my God, this is so terrible. It was so awful. I, it was still an enjoyable title. I think it definitely had problems. It didn't live up to origins as much as i wanted it to but it did not offend me as a gamer it was not a game that i'm going to sit there and say wow i wish i hadn't spent my time playing it i I think people really latched on to um one thing that david silverman said and you know what he he catches so much crap for this and it's frustrating because he's a good guy and he's in marketing like he has nothing to do with development of the game but david silverman was the guy who said uh Button awesome, button awesome, press A, something awesome happens. Um, and people took that as, oh, wow, Bioware is doing an awful thing, but that his job is not in development. And right. I, thought he, I thought he caught a whole lot of crap for that that he shouldn't have. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with that. And I think, too, a lot of people were just upset because Dragon Age was built as, you know, the spiritual successor to Baldur's Gate. and. You know, visually, at least on the PC, it kind of had that look, whereas the new one went in a different direction, I think. Yeah, I think that that now what I will say is that Dragon Age 2 felt like a game that was targeted towards the console gamer. I think that's where a lot of the people who are huge fans of Dragon Age Origins and probably played it on the PC got angry because, well, this is not the PC, you know, top down strategy game that I wanted. It's it's where Bioware is trying to to get the more massive audience of the the casual gamer, which I don't disagree that that's what happened. Mm-hmm. But they got frustrated because it's not the game for the ultra hardcore that the first one was. Right, and I, I definitely felt that way too. I think combat wise, I enjoyed Dragon Age two. I thought it was more fun in terms of responsiveness, and you know things worked definitely a lot better than they did in uh, Dragon Age Origins, where sometimes combat just didn't work the way it was supposed to. Uh, I loved the game for that aspect. What really frustrated me was the fact that I felt like I was having no impact on the world, and I wasn't uh, I wasn't a participant. My favorite aspect of Dragon Age Origins were the storytelling and things like the lands meet and interacting with the world and seeing the choices that I made earlier in the game coming back. And then Dragon Age 2 kind of throws all that out the window. Like my biggest disappointment with Dragon Age 2, and I'll try to avoid spoilers, is that the ending of the game, you think that you're going to make a decision and you really don't and you just end up playing the end. Yeah, I I know exactly what you're talking about. I was – I thought that was ridiculous because 
you know, not not to spoil it again, but you spend the whole game building up these two sides and all this important backstory and why, you know, and, and they make you think, oh, you know, you're really going to have an impact on what happens between these two people. And then, no. Yeah. No, I hear you guys. And I, I think that, that kind of Kirkwall as an environment and as a backdrop didn't do a good job. Yeah, you know, it, it it's it's tough to have a huge effect on the world when you stay within one city within the entire thing. It it, it doesn't have that same epic feel. You might have changes within Kirkwall, but you know, it it really doesn't feel like you have an effect on anything, which is unfortunate. Yeah, but I think in the end, Dragon Age Two is not a bad game, and I'm very hopeful. I think we're probably going to start seeing the. Uh, it's not my prediction, but I I think we're going to start hearing about Dragon Age Three here during this year, and I I expect Bioware is going to come back. And what I think they should do is that they should make Dragon Age kind of like their hardcore RPG for the RPG players. And that way, Mass Effect can kind of fit in with the, you know, this is a little bit more accessible. Please don't read that as a negative thing. Like any listeners right now don't think that I'm saying that, oh, you know, it's easy and whatnot and it's Mass Effect. No, but it's much more accessible. And I think that what they should do with Origins is go back to what people – with 3 is to go back with what people enjoyed about Origins. Honestly, what I think they should do is I think they should just have a game mode selection. Look, we the the battle engine functions the same way. They just made two more action oriented. You go, you patch into the PC version or any version that stop, pause, Baldur's Gate style. But I don't think that was the problem, John, because like that that was definitely present in the PC version of the game. The problem with Dragon Age Two was the storytelling. I think the encounter design was what caused the problem with the with the combat, though. Oh yeah, the well, waves, the waves like, of enemies. Just, you know, and you could tell. I think the waves were just a result of they really didn't have a whole lot of time to put Dragon Age two together. Yeah. You know, so like it was the best solution they'd come up with, but it made the fights feel kind of like, all right, you beat this wave. Here's another group of guys. Yeah, it felt it felt like an action game, which in that kind of a game is not a good thing. Yeah. And when I say it feels like an action game, I don't mean like um, as we're going to talk about in the next section, Kingdoms of Amalur. Um, where it feels like an action game with an RPG core, the combat just felt action-y with an RPG combat system, and when a game feels action-y, you need it to have an action system behind it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, su- I suspect with 3, I don't think we're going to get what Rob is suggesting, just because I, at this point I don't think financially they're going to be allowed to or be willing to do that. Hmm. I think you're going to get a compromise between one and two in three. It'll still be very action oriented, but I think they may take steps to, you know, correct the issues that people who really enjoyed the first one had with Dragon Age Two. I, I, I really don't think you're going to see a return to the first style. It seems sort of like the the supposed changes that they're making in Mass Effect Three, where you get this compromise between the very stat heavy and loot heavy Mass Effect One and the more actiony, you know, streamlined, perhaps overly so Mass Effect Two. Uh, into this more, you know, maybe not, you know, it's not RPG light and it's not RPG heavy, but it's it's somewhere in between, you know, like that action-y it, it, it's thing. It's the Goldilocks action. Yeah, you know, it's, it's just right. You got that, that medium porridge. It's just um, right. And so... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know what we were wow. on there. <laughs> I have no clue. <laughs> I, I hope so. I mean, I, I think that they're going to 
bring the series back a little bit, and I'm, I'm excited to play another one. We have, we've heard, like, some slight murmurings. I don't know how much I want it to be, like, Skyrim, which is what they kind of said. Like, I don't know who it was, but one of the Dragon You're Age guys. cues from Skyrim. But yeah, I mean, that, I mean, that worries like... me a little bit. Really? <laughs> I think they're it... completely different, though. Uh, but I don't know. What, I... what could... Sorry, go ahead. No, I think that there are elements that, that you can take from from either game that can be applied to the other and done so successfully without without breaking the kind of game that it is. Like, I think people are taking this and be like, oh my god, Dragon Age 3 is going to be just like Skyrim. I mean, it's going to be open oh, world and it's going to have bad combat and they're going to get rid of the story <laughs> and rah, 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 rah. You talked about the combat, not me. Yes, yes, Hawk is going to say Fusroda. Well, Actually, is- I would buy that. I, I don't think that, that Hawk is going to be the main character of the third one. I think they're going to go with a third character and probably tie into uh, Hawk and what do they call a hero from the first one? I don't the, remember. The, uh, the hero. The, hero, the yeah. warden. Yeah. The warden. Well, I hope that they re- that they go back and do the origin stories because even though it was slightly gimmicky, I, that was my favorite aspect of Dragon Age Origins because it felt like I was playing a new character every time because the first few hours of the game were very much focused on your individual choices and the different things that you were doing. And I, I hope that they do that. But we'll see. All right, what other games do we want to talk about here? Uh, let's see. We're, we're, we're in the early part of the year. Uh, Radiant Historia. That was a great uh, yes. game. That's, I, that's one that I, I, I intended to I hate the combat, but I really liked Radiant Historia. I, I liked it. I just thought the combat was just a little too long. Yeah, I, I, th- I, I agree with Rob's criticism there. I think it's a great game, and I enjoyed the combat, but I definitely got a Skies of Arcadia syndrome from the combat where it's like, oh, my God, this fight is taking five minutes. You know, at, at times it just it felt it was a little grating. That was my only problem with the game. I mean, I was digging on it. Well, that that and the small map. The the small map was driving me crazy. But the uh, it was just that the combat every every fight in that game felt like it was taking you know three or four minutes. And I, I really like speedy JRPG combat that's still tactical. And I, I think that that's a really hard balance to get right. And I just I never thought Radiant Historia got it right. Well, I don't care because Radiant Historia was freaking awesome. Well. It's it's definitely one of those that I need to get back to. I have the cartridge just like sitting in my pile of DS cartridges, and and at some point I will get back to it. But along with the other million games we have, oh god, don't even. Yeah, Steam me. sales just absolutely ruining uh, Zach's financial situation. Yeah, although it is working out really well for me. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> Dungeon Defenders, baby. All right, Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. we need to review that too. Ah, oh, crap. So Radiant Historia, pretty good game, huh? Yeah, I mean, like, I, like, we, we had an entire podcast segment about it way back in, in February or whenever it came out. And, you know, it's a top-quality JRPG, and um, this will go up after the awards. Yeah, and, and there's a reason why it tied for our traditional RPG of the year. Like, it's yeah. a good-quality game. I, I So Stephen and I kind of co-wrote the 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 blurb for it, and... I feel like it's it's kind of what would have happened in 16-bit gaming had the PlayStation never happened and 2D stayed around. I can see that. I think what's great about it, too, like that I remember in particular, is that it really does, it touches on all the things that you loved about JRPGs and kind of like, you know, sharpens them to like the, the razor's edge, I guess. Like, 
it's got an awesome soundtrack, probably the best soundtrack by Shimamura this year. And like, the, I think the characters are great. Like you have at first, Stock does seem like your typical like cloud, moody, obnoxious, you know, whiny winebag JRPG protagonist, but he turns out to be a really likable character, and the entire cast ends up that way. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's so easy to keep playing that game. He didn't actually bother me that much. I kind of liked him as a character. Well, no, no, he. I liked him too. I'm saying at first, like he comes off like when you first meet him, like the first hour or so, you kind of get that whole like I'm Cloud and I'm a loner vibe, and then it just turns out that that's not the case. And I, you know, I think that was a nice change, I guess. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I liked him. He seemed like a likable guy. And Rosh, who was awesome. Other games. Did 999 come out last year, or was that it, the year previous? I think I played it. Uh, it came out in the previous year, but I think I didn't play it until, like... Yeah, no, it wasn't on... No, 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 it was out the previous year, because it, it won an award from us. Um, we, uh, what a good game. While we're talking about it... Uh, well, that's a graphic novel, but I guess... Uh, Adventure Games, we had Great Matter in February. That was... A, I mean, I think I'm the only one that played it, but... That, yeah, was a, that is correct. That is correct. <laughs> That was an excellent game that basically it took forever for it to get developed because like four different teams worked on it and then they couldn't find a publisher for it and just all kinds of nonsense, which is a shame because it's actually a really awesome game with excellent writing. And, you know, if you like those old style like King's Quest type, you know, point and click games, it's pretty much right up that alley. And the music is awesome as well. Well. I have nothing to say about um, Grey Matter. I'm kind of of in the same boat there. Yeah, I did not play it. Is it on Steam? <laughs> no, and I, I I actually asked them that question why it wasn't on Steam, and they said it's because it wasn't up to them. Uh, that's unfortunate because I would probably have bought it if it was on Steam. You yeah. would buy anything if it was on Steam. Let's well, not be ridiculous now. You're a little be, Steam hooker. No, hey, hey, I I bought uh, Crisis Two on Origin. So there. What? You turn cloak. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, I already have the Origin account because of Battlefield 3, but I digress. Do you know what games came out very early in the year? Hyperdimension, Neptunia, and Artanelico Koga. Oh, boy, those are great. Oh, man. I did not play either of those. It's a good thing. (laughs) That's a good thing. (laughs) When when John was talking about uh, mentioning, you know, traditional JRPG stuff, when we say that, you know, uh, Legend of Heroes and Radiant Historia are the examples of great JRPGs, those are the examples of where they definitely should not go ever. Are they really that bad? Yeah, written hyper. Well, some of the the very hardcore Japanese RPG fans like them. Uh, I know lots of our readers didn't like Kimberly's review of Arts and Elico. Um, Hyperdimension Neptunia is incredibly slow, clunky, and it has pretty much all the the standard tropes of. What you, what you see in 90s anime in that everybody has gargantuan busts and is wearing no clothing and that sort of thing. It's Rob's house on a Friday night, yeah. <laughs> same thing with... Uh, Ar- hell, man. <laughs> same thing with Artinelico. Artinelico's always kind of had sexual overtones, and that was on purpose, and it really just goes over the top for Koga. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know like the the hypersexualized thing I really think we need to start getting over it in the video game world like it's starting to tick me off a little bit it it, it it's hard to it's really hard for me to sit there with a straight face and tell my friends about how you know video games are so awesome and cool when I'm playing a game 
and you just have a character that's walking around in practically nothing and just acting like a lesbian just for the sake of titillation. I mean, that's... Oh, you mean the, the stupid pirate chick from Dragon Age? Isabella? Oh, yeah, she would be right up there. Yeah, she, she was obnoxious. She was obnoxious. Yeah. Well, she can come back for me. No, I, I agree that that's something that I'd like to see see minimized, you know? It's, it's something that's become a staple of kind of the anime world, though. Yeah. yeah. I think it's going to be tough to get rid of it, too, overall, because, I mean, look at Hollywood movies. People criticize Hollywood movies for objectifying women and over-sexualizing things, and they still do it. There are plenty of great, valid movies, but, you know, I think it's always going to be at least somewhat present because there's a market for it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm looking over the list, and I'm getting us towards the middle of the year. I guess, I mean, Uh, Witcher is is a big one that came out in May, right? Uh, Sorry, beginning of the year, we haven't, that we haven't, uh, and then we'll go into Witcher. Uh, Tactics Ogre. Ooh, oh, outstanding play it. game. Need to play it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did anybody else play it? No. Yeah, I did. I haven't beaten it yet, but it's... Sorry, go ahead, John. I, I don't think it's possible to beat it. Um, <laughs> I say that sarcastically, but no, it's it's an amazing strategy RPG. If you liked Final Fantasy Tactics, it's essentially the spiritual um, precursor. Pre- successor. Yeah, <laughs> predecessor, predecessor, before and after. I think younger gamers, you know, like uh, our friend Zach over there, would be like, "Well, it's just really reminiscent of uh, Final Fantasy Tactics." With yeah, they must have taken a few. They must have taken the whole game design from that. <laughs> it's like the direct. It's like the director and the art guy just copied the other guy. Yeah, what the hell, man? It looked exactly the same. I know things about <laughs> video games, Rob. <laughs> We're sitting here abusing him, and he's just buying us free stuff on Steam. <laughs> it's cool. We need to be, we need to be nicer to Zach. Podcast mom. Don't worry about it. Podcast mom. Ah. But I, I really enjoy Tactics Ogre. And you know what? We Kind of the way that we can just – is it's it's Final Fantasy Tactics one half. Well, we never got a Final Fantasy Tactics 2. We got those silly games about kids uh, finding storybooks. Hey, you know what? Rag, rag on those all that you want. Even Done. Though- I will be happy to do that. Now, even though those stories were were simplistic, I really like the job systems in both of the advanced games. I thought they were very, very competent titles. I think the gameplay was was pretty solid. I just think the rest of it was a little disappointing. Well, I you know what? I can't disagree there, but you know what? I really don't play my tactics games for their engrossing stories. Unless it's Final Fantasy Tactics. I I played the Final Fantasy Tactics on the, uh, yes, the PlayStation same. One the first time. <laughs> like, didn't understand it. Well, no, so did I. You know, you're shooting fire bracelets and whatnot. But I mean, you get the gist of it. <laughs> no, no, you really can't. The most, the most <laughs> important thing to do is to remember that when things get hairy, you can summon your good friend Rich. I just, I remember just being hor. I, I just chalked it up to me being like a stupid child when that game came out. You know, like I, I must not be understanding <laughs> this game. This, this game must be smarter than me. It can't can't possibly be anything else. Then you read it and you're like, Witcher two, Witcher two. Which uh, am I the only one that played it to completion on this podcast? I believe so. All right, I'm still, so I'm I'm the, I am the authority. No, you're not, because um, you're gonna say bad things about the combat, which I played enough of the game to know that the combat was freaking good. No, it wasn't. I, 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 all I know is that Rob is bad at The Witcher. Dude, I beat it. I, <laughs> I beat it fairly easily once you find like that one skill that just makes the game easy. Now, 
Now, Rob's just bad at the game. He's uh, bad at video games. Whatever. I, I'm awful at video games. It, it's true. Except if they're Dark Souls, and then he's like, oh my god, I love <laughs> so good at this game. I can, Dark I can. Souls, you're jumping ahead. We can't yeah, talk about Dark Souls yet. That yet. Well, I, I just think it's important to mention for 360 gamers, like, you're getting a very, very good RPG whenever the hell it comes out next year. Like, Witcher 2 is a lot of fun. It's, it's a great world. I think it's doing a lot of the things, surprisingly enough, that they wanted to do with Dragon Age 2, like making you feel a connection with the characters and whatnot. And not exactly pulling it off. I think Witcher Two does that phenomenally well. It's also one of the best adapted storylines I've ever seen. It's also got lots and lots of sex. But yeah, yeah there's one particularly awesome scene that I think Rob actually linked me to on YouTube. It's no, pretty funny. But but you know the sex in the game is a little bit more tasteful than I think a lot of people give it credit for. Well, you mean you don't get trading cards anymore? No, you don't get trading cards anymore. <laughs> Because that that was just they're like, please take our game seriously. BTW, you just had sex. Here's a trading card. Here's a trading, <laughs> and we're going to censor those trading cards in the original American edition. Why? Because we know you like censored porn. That's what Americans <laughs> like: scrambled porn. <laughs> That's just what they're used to. Because yeah. they uh, not anymore, man. Who the hell watches porn on TV anymore? No, no, no. no it's it's supposed to be a uh, a reminiscent thing. Oh, okay. Just, their their target audience is all in the age range where uh, they grew up on scrambled porn. We want to take you back to a magical land where you couldn't tell what the hell you were looking at. Could have been gay porn was, for all you know. But damn it, it was hot. But By damn it, exact, it was please hot. be sure to include oh. our porn discussion in the description. <laughs> so much yeah. porn. You have no idea what you're watching, but... All right, no more Family Guy. (laughs) All right. Family Guy? Well, it was kind of Family Guy-esque humor. But I I just think it's cool that it's coming out on 360. You know, I I really wish it was coming out on PS3. I think that's kind of a weird move. I I think it might be a uh, texture RAM thing. It could be. It could be. But I I think... So I want to go off onto a huge tangent here about the architecture of the PlayStation 3 hardware. And about okay. how complicated it is to program for. Yes, we all know this. No, that that's it? not not about how it's complicated, about how it's different. Oh, okay. Um, it's, it's more complex, but the way that it's set up is people go, oh, the PlayStation 3 has less VRAM than it should. Well, it's it's not about the amount of VRAM that it has and the amount of cores that it has. It's It has an incredibly fast bus, so you can move uh, textures in and out of RAM incredibly quickly. It's not that it has low VRAM, it's that it has an incredibly fast bust. Uh, you know, I, I enjoy how I'm actually talking about something that, that some of our readers might find, or listeners John, might find. John, John, please educate me. <laughs> I, am, I am young and alone in this world, <laughs> and I, I need to know how this works. <laughs> I hate you all, I'm just going to... No, I'm actually... I'm, like, no, I'm, no, 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 I'm in support of this. I'm, now, I, I learned a lot of this from my brother, who who is a programmer and does most of his work on the PlayStation 3. Um, it's it's the reason why you see these massive installs on the PlayStation 3 is because the programmers who are working with it are not used to having to stream textures in and out of memory quickly. Um, the PlayStation 3 can do it, and that's how it's meant to be used. But these are programmers who are used to programming things on the PC or on PC-esque hardware like the Xbox 360, where... You just have essentially, okay, here is all of your textures that you're going to need. We're going to load them into RAM immediately, and we're going to pull from RAM, and that's not how the PlayStation 3 works. Mm-hmm. 
And so for programmers who are used to PC and CD Projekt Red having been exclusively a PC developer, for them to do an in-house PlayStation 3 uh, port is more difficult for them because they don't have the programmers with the experience and the knowledge necessary to do it. Oh, I know, I know. I'm just saying it's a bummer. I guess that's why you see a lot of ports that aren't really as solid on PS3, too. Yeah, that, that's absolutely true. Yeah, well, I, you know, a lot of people just say, "Oh, all they give a crap about is the Xbox version," but that it—I can't imagine that's the truth. So that that really kind of clears that up, I think. Well, and, and there's now a reason why most of my gaming is on the PC, and I'll be honest, I hesitate whenever there's like a multi-platform release. I'm like, do I want to get it on PS3? Like, I have a kick-ass TV to watch it on, but I'm kind of worried about how it's going to play. Like, that's always a consideration that I'm making now whenever I buy a game. Is, is it going to play well on the PlayStation 3? And nine times out of ten, it plays fine. You know, the, the, even the discerning eye can't figure it out. Every once in a while, you get a game. Where the dragons fly backwards and yeah, the memory overloads. Yeah, well, every once in a while that happens. I, I think I'm a little bit different. I, I don't know. I guess I'm still probably in my biased I'm a Sony fanboy phase from when all I had was a PS1. But I, I don't know. I always buy my exclusive games on PS3, and I don't know if maybe it's because that's the only thing I have with an HDMI hookup. Or what, but... To, to, to be fair, like, the PS1, PS2 era, what other systems were there that had good games on them? Yeah, like, I mean, there was GameCube, the GameCube with all ten games it had. And, and the GameCube, and the N64 Dreamcast. was not during that time, you silly child. PS1? N64 was a, a PS1. I said PS1 oh, and PS2. Oh, oh, okay, I thought you said hey. PS2 only. Hey, Rob. I'm sorry. I, I was never a big fan of the 64. There was, like, one game on it that I liked, and it was an Ocarina of Time. And... <laughs> GameCube, I think, had a couple of awesome games, but that was it. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, yeah. they were all in house at Nintendo. Or and then the Dreamcast, or... which is which is it's good to see things have changed. It's good to see things have changed. As I'm sitting here playing the only game on Wii that I've played in like, well, other than Xenoblade. Hey, you know what? To be fair, Electronic Arts put out some good games for Wii. It's just nobody had the sense to play them, and they're idiots because Boomblox is like the best game I was going to say Boomblox is really good. You know what? I bought Boombox for my mother once for Mother's Day. I was like, oh, this seems neat. It's got Steven Spielberg. And then we ended up playing it for like four hours. Maybe I should pick that up. It it used to be our – when I was living in Las Vegas, it was our, okay, what are we going to play? Well, we can play either Rock Band or Boomblox, and we would play one of those two games constantly. Hmm. Boomblox is pretty awesome. I'm glad somebody else has actually played that. So you're the odd one out there. I, I know. I, now I got to play some Boom Blocks apparently. So, uh, so we move on from Witcher 2 to uh, summer releases coming Dungeons out. of Dreadmore. That was an actually Dungeons of Dreadmore. So good. What, what's funny something? is uh, we actually just posted a review of Dungeons of Dreadmore and Andrew did not like it. What? Really? He should not. I haven't read that yet. Yeah, I've been really busy. Good. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. Dungeon of Dreadmore was actually my, my game of the summer because I was in Japan from the beginning of April to the beginning of August, and so I didn't have anything but my laptop with me, and so Dungeon of Dreadmore was one of the only games that I could actually play because um, it was uh, available on Mac to on Steam. Uh, it's like 250 uh, right now. I'm suddenly no longer interested. Shush, shush, shush. Um, <clears throat> but Dungeon of Dreadmore is, is really great, accessible, roguelike with... A wicked sense of humor, and uh, it's really good. You should all buy it. Yeah, I really it. want to play it. I have it. I just not enough time, not enough hours in the day. I think if you're not a fan of roguelikes, you'll probably hate it. Like I'm not a huge fan of those kind of games, just because I hate the idea of losing progression. 
But this one actually is, I, I kind of liked it a little bit. I mean, I haven't had enough time to sit down and play it for very long, but it's definitely a... Uh, I mean, the, the nice thing is that it has it has a not terrible mouse interface, um, which is something that you don't often get with roguelikes, because most roguelike interfaces, I mean, at least dating back to the original ones, use every button on the keyboard uh, in like its that. own special fashion. Um and so you get a really, you know, you get some very pleasant graphics as well. Um, the enemies has say ridiculously funny things. I like if you if you give it <laughs> just the 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 diggle gods. Just one of the one of the diggles, which is like the main enemy, is my favorite thing that he says. I hate you so much. <laughs> you're just you're just like beating up on him and stealing his, you know, like stealing the <laughs> eggs from his area. It's just I hate you so much. Um, <laughs> When I first started that game, I was making my character going through all the really important choices to like what your skills are going to be, and I'm sitting there like, oh, magic, yeah, that's definitely important. So, oh yeah, I need this one. Oh, potion making, all right, that's important. Al- archaeology, what does this do? Gives you a fedora selected. Archaeology is <laughs> really, really actually important because it can like you helps you defuse traps, and the fedora is a really good starting item. And then there's necronomics. Necronomics. <laughs> Um, they have they have a whole like just all everything that they've done in that game and they've added a lot of post content uh, post release content as well. So uh-huh. the the five bucks that I originally paid for it has has brought me a long way. Um, you know, a, a lot of those indie Steam games are just totally kick ass about doing that. Like, uh, what is this? Maybe this is a good time to to kind of stop and talk about a bunch of the indie Steam games that came out. It seems like a lot of Xbox Live indie game developers moved over to steam and had an incredible amount of success when they moved to steam mm-hmm. you know it's awesome yeah you had uh you had actually uh zavoid games which uh one of the guys behind that uh robert boyd used to be a forum regular now he's too good for us i don't know what happened to that but uh no he's a he's a very very nice guy and his cthulhu saves the world in breath of death seven have I been enjoyed both of those games. Have, have been incredibly successful on Steam, and actually now he's working on uh, the Penny Arcade game. Yeah, mm. yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the, the, yeah. I'm all excited about that. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I, I came off really strong on that, and then forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> no, I really enjoyed both of those games, and I think uh, I, I think having a lot of the Xbox Live indie titles. Uh, what I he- keep hearing out of developers is like it's the indie channels are hidden and it's hard to find the games on Xbox Live and Steam is just like putting that content just right there over and over again. Yeah, no, that, here it is on the front store page. There was actually, uh, I can't remember which game it was. I think it might have actually been uh, Terraria where the guy actually said that he was literally about to like, you know, completely go bust. And then one Steam sale came out and I guess he made just an absolute truckload of money. And he said literally that Steam completely saved that game and his company. It, so, it does. It does that game. for a lot of things. Yeah, Steam. Steam. It also ruins Zach's life, but you know. just a little bit, just just the slightest bit. Bastion. I mean, I guess if we're are we counting Bastion as an indie game? No, you know what? I Bastion was made by an independent developer, but it was published by a big name. It was published by WBIE. Ah, uh, yeah, that's right. That's why for our Game End Awards, it's not considered an indie game. Um, it's still getting an award, but. The awards are up. I'm sorry. The awards are up by the time you guys hear this. So, you know, it, there, it, it gets a downloadable game of the year. And the reason it qualifies for that but not for indie is because it was published by Warner Brothers and it wasn't published by, uh, you know, it wasn't as super giant games didn't publish it themselves. Mm-hmm. I didn't like Bastion. You're wrong. <laughs> 
I know. I know. We've, yeah. been, we've been through this. I, have, I haven't beaten it yet. Uh, I really enjoy the narration, and I think when I have a little more time to play it, I'll probably at least finish it. Um, it has some pretty pretty awesome ideas in it. Like the I don't know the art and just the music and just I don't know. You could sell me with a good soundtrack. I'm pretty much the music was. I, I don't know if there was a better soundtrack this year. Just because of that's actually me saying I don't know, as opposed to me being like, you know, I don't think there was. But um, it this uh, soundtrack and that is so good. Was, I've listened to that independently just a bunch of times. It was definitely. I I thought you know because I mean I keep pretty close tabs on the soundtracks, but. I think it is definitely one of the best soundtracks of the year. Um, it has a lot of really distinct styles, and it just has that old Western frontiersy feel that I think is just it. You can pretty much buy me with that, that and whistling. This is why Wild Arms is awesome. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> now it's stuck in my head, Stephen. Thank you for that. Nope. Stop it! No, stop, stop it! Stop. I actually really do like the Wild Arms soundtrack, though. I I couldn't get into Bastion. I don't know why it was. I started it a couple of times and. Didn't get very far in it. I should try and pick it up again. I guess. That's, a, that's a damn shame. I love I the narration. I love the art style. I love the music. Just didn't like the gameplay that much. There's something about it that just kind of gelled with me. Um, and I, and it seems that like the more people I talk to, there's a lot of split opinions on it. There's a lot of people who really love the game and just a lot of people who just couldn't get into it for some reason. And I, I fell on on the correct side of that fence. Oh, oh, I see. How yeah. it's it's interesting that you get a lot of a lot of that discussion too. Like there's such hyperbole. Like I think Kim actually said, um, like Kim, if I recall, like completely loved it. I remember her yeah. writing on Twitter too that it's like it was like the most soul enriching experience she had had of the year, and that's it's pretty high praise, especially from Kim, who is you know very you know about writing in games and story and all that. She's fairly uh, you know I don't want to use the word picky because that sounds negative, but uh, I guess choosy. <laughs> <laughs> we all know she's not that picky, guys. Come on now. Oh. <laughs> gotcha, John. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not crossing that bridge, bro. I already did, bro. All right. Bye. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I think I just got fired. <laughs> I may be wrong, but the pink slip may be coming. Uh, uh, um, middle of the year. Blood. Middle of the year. Well, there was that one pretty awesome game that came out, uh, Deus Ex Human Revolution. Oh, God, that game was awesome. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I will say I, I loved that game, but it didn't have quite the replay value that I was hoping it was going to. Because I, I kind of just fell into the same character again when I started playing it. I was like, I'm going to play a different Adam Jensen. But, and I was like, no. like screw that. No, I'm going to hide and stab people. Well, you know what? I, I think that that's one of the things that Deus Ex succeeds at. Not It's because you have the choice of what you want to do, but you're not handicapped by your character choices. Yeah. Because if you want to play a stealthy guy who sneaks through vents, you can put all your points into shooting, and you can still be that guy. Yeah. I, I think that's what happened. It was yeah. like, if I compare it to... I mean, the only other game to come out like it was Vampire, and that was years ago. But Vampire, since you have such wildly different character classes, you get a completely different experience, and you are handicapped. You know, so, yeah, like if you so, go with any build that requires you to fight often, you lose. Yeah, exactly. But like the the game handicaps you by the character class choice. It's like, okay, you're good at A and B, but you suck at C. But I think Deus Ex, you're kind of good at everything, but you choose what you excel at and what you really benefit from. 
And, yeah. and so I started playing the game again, and I was like, well, I'm going to try some different things. And I found, no, I'm kind of just picking the same exact perks because I know that those work really well with what I do in this game. And then I get to the boss fights, and I want to kill someone. Not, not to retread too much old territory, but we even talked about it before when we had our big show with Deus Ex, was that the, the reason the game works is the original Deus Ex, you know, I know it's well loved for its time, but we have to be objective about it. It's, parts of that game are totally broken. And I think it's because in Deus Ex, it's not, for me at least, it's not very much fun until you start getting augmentations, because the augmentations give you the power to start doing the interesting things. Whereas with Human Revolution, the core gameplay without augmentations is still fun. The stealth stealth is just a blast. And, you know, the shooting works. You know, it's not the best shooting, but it's significantly better than the original. And I think that's really where its strength is, is that they built a good game that worked and then gave you superpowers. Yeah, I, I loved it. I'm so, like, ready for another one. I'm kind of disappointed right now because it looks like, uh, based off of a recent Square Enix filing, uh, it looks like those guys may be making another Hitman game, you know, while the next one uh, is also being worked on. So oh yeah, it, I heard about that. I don't think they're going to make another game. I probably like a a cartoon or something. I, I hope not, but I, you know, I'm worried now well, that that hit- studio might be going down a road that isn't Deus Ex, and you know, they well, we, they had already said they were going to make Thief Four. They're they're already working on Thief Four. I can't imagine that that Square Enix would not capitalize on a property that's been incredibly popular this year. Yeah, yeah, it's um, the only game that made them money. Now, now, <laughs> are you allowed to say anything about Thief Four? Idos Montreal is hiring more people. It's possible to have another development team that's also IDOS Montreal that might be working on what you know whatever old IDOS franchise, but IO still exists, so Yeah, yeah. I mean I, I think that I'm hopeful and and to Steven's point, we don't know anything about the four right now. We just we know that they're working on it and that's have, it. Have they actually have they actually announced it? Yeah, they announced yeah, it. Uh, announced yeah, it was announced quite quite a while ago. Yeah, I'm I'm guessing that. Uh, I think we had this argument last time we were talking about Deus Ex. <laughs> I think we did too. Yeah. Well, I just remember because like you know I wasn't sure what I was allowed to talk about and all, and I was like, can I mention that that exists? Yes, we all know it and, exists. Yeah, because yep. it's it existed long before you were like, this exists. Yeah, you yeah. were all like, what? I was like, what? I saw a sign for it. <laughs> but I, I'm really excited to see a Deus Ex out of those guys, another game, because it, it really did feel like, in a lot of ways, Human Revolution was kind of a proof of concept. Like, all the hu- the hub missions, th- those were my most enjoyable RPG, like, gaming this year, were the hub areas. Yeah, but they, they, there wasn't enough. I think they ran, it felt like they ran out of time, because they did great things with the amount of time they had, but you could tell they would have taken a little more time to do the boss fights and to do... You know, little things here and there. Um, wow, yeah. I had a, a big thought going and I forgot it. Okay. Well. I mean, I almost don't want to bring up the boss fights when we're talking about it. You have to, but they were outsourced and, you know. They were awful. They were awful. I, I, so. I don't really feel – see, for me, it wasn't that big a deal because they lasted for so little of the time. True. I honestly can't say that I thought they were that bad because, I mean, I went in, I threw five grenades at the guy and he died. See, so I, like, I wow, think – That was lame, but – I think depending on your build, they were more difficult. Yep. Yeah. Stealth build, you're screwed. Well, that's the thing is, I was a stealth build. I had no, you know, I didn't. Ha- I just had a bunch of grenades in my pocket. Yeah, you know that room with all the grenades right before the first boss. I was like, man, I got too much other stuff. I'm not gonna, you know, pick up grenades or anything. I'll be fine. But Rob, there was a blocker with grenades like right next to him. Yeah, I know. And I saved after that. 
No, I mean like in the room with the boss. Yeah, I know, and I had to like do you know inventory t- inventory Tetris, which is so <laughs> so much fun to do. Aren't you a Diablo fan? Yeah, but you know what? Diablo 3 is excellent, and it is the best game of 2013, and I will have you speak no ill will about it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah, you, uh, you shut the hell up, John. <laughs> uh, we're still in the middle of the year. Um, Legend of Heroes, I don't know if any of us really were hardcore I about it. I was it. not a fan. Nope. <laughs> I, I, I played it a little bit. I, it scratches a particular itch. Yeah, uh, I our, our our staff because I can talk about the awards since they're done. Our staff was incredibly split for our traditional RPG award this year. It seemed like people either wanted to give the award to Radiant Historia and wanted nothing to do with Legend of Heroes, or they wanted to give the award to Legend of Heroes and wanted nothing to do with Radiant Historia. Yeah, I don't know. For, for me personally, like I can understand where somebody might be coming from loving R- R- Legend of Heroes. It reminds me a lot of Lunar, and I'm not a terribly big fan of Lunar. It's one of those really talky like traditional style RPGs where like, there's not a whole lot of like, I mean, at least I, I didn't play Legend of Heroes enough to get, you know, I only played for like two hours, but you know, it, it didn't seem like it's super customizable. It's not, you know, a create your own experience kind of game and say, here's some turn-based battles. Now go learn about your characters and have adventures. Yeah. And, and a lot of people said, and I don't think any of us got far enough where the game supposedly really gets good at 20 to 30 hours in. Oh, where That's have I heard rough. that before? That's yeah, <laughs> you know, I don't have time for that anymore. It's a shame, but I 20, don't. Twenty to thirty hours into Zelda, I am in the final dungeon. Yeah, really? It, 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 well, it, I mean, I skipped all the side quests. Uh, it, okay. it, it's truly one of the old school RPGs where it's a it's a sixty or seventy hour quest, and Ooh. you spend the first you know huge chunk of it getting kind of acquainted with the game, uh, and. That's that's kind of where I got lost. You know what? There may very well be a game that I love somewhere deep within Legend of Heroes, but I don't have the patience or the time to get to it. Yeah, yeah. like I, I, I recognize that it's a good game, and I think it's, you know, Xseed has a great track record for doing excellent localizations, oh, and the localization yeah. was off the hook but, for that game. It was just yeah. outstanding. You know what? Uh, Tom at Xseed... Uh, who is an amazing guy and a longtime reader. Um, he is great at localization, and you know what? Xseed's sitting on a gold mine with him. Uh, yeah. they, they really are. Um, I have nothing but good things to say about him. Cool. I actually, um, to pimp out another podcast, uh, Pat Gann's podcast on Game of Source, um, they actually interviewed Tom, and it was an awesome interview. He was talking about uh, Corpse Party. And, you know, it was, a, it was a slightly older interview, but just if you listen to him talk, you can just tell that he, the dude has a serious passion for what he's doing. And he's picking up games because he thinks they're awesome games. So you have to take that in mind. Maybe we didn't care for too much for Legend of Heroes, but it undoubtedly will scratch a very large portion yeah. of the JRPG yeah. audience. You know, you'll, you'll know if you're a fan of Legend of Heroes probably within the first hour of playing it. Yeah, definitely. Right. If you like Lunar, if you like, you know, the original Grandia, if you like kind of that that old school traditional, I'm going to play as a 15 year old that's going to go save the world. That's for you. And you know what? XE did a great job with the localization and it scratches an itch. Is it an itch for me? No. But you know what? I can still recognize that it's a quality game. Isn't Zach a 15 year old that saves? <laughs> I save nothing. <laughs> I saved this podcast. They just announced actually that they're releasing Legend of Heroes that one Trails in the Sky on 
Yeah, uh, but, I, I, it, but it's not localized by Xseed. So is that company going to go and retranslate the game again? You know what? I have no idea what's going on with uh, the Legend of Heroes mobile stuff. It's being localized by Area Games, which they... Didn't they, they do actually, the Shin Megami thing? Yeah, they, they did the Shin Megami Tensei MMO. Um, you know, they, they do free-to-play stuff. Like, I, I'm very interested to see how that's going to turn out. Um, my hopes are not set high. I just don't understand why you would relocalize something that's already been localized by the best in the business. I because you can't purchase the localization. I don't know. It could be any number of things, but hmm. legal stuff. Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of the reason why I think Lunar Legend has a different translation than Lunar the Silver Star Story. Hmm. Hmm. They when this used to be a lunar website, did you have to sing the lunar song before you could get on? <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> I remember playing Lunar, got to the song, and I was like, done. I actually made it to the final boss in Lunar, and I hadn't been terribly thrilled with the game. Eric used to tell me that he liked me. He's not going to like me anymore because I'm not talking good things about Lunar. But um, I, I don't know. That game just, like, it, it's a little too whimsical for me. Like, I got to the final boss, and That's I couldn't right. see it. That's right. You hate whimsy. I, I don't like whimsy. I need, like, death drama. That's why I don't like Dragon Quest. And, like... The final boss in Lunar, I got to him, he killed me once, and I was like, well, I'm done with this. Okay, I guess that, that we need to, to move on. Zach is telling us that we're going long, and this is going to be a long podcast, and we know it. it's probably going to be more than two hours. Sweet, long podcast. Well, as we, uh, you know, we complete the summer, and we move on to the beginning of October, and the single greatest game to ever grace. All right, I'm going to the bathroom. <laughs> Dark Souls. Dark Souls. Dark Souls is really good. I'm still stuck at Ornstein and Smog. Fallout New Vegas World War Blues? You know what you need to do with Ornstein and Smog? You need to get a friend to help you. <laughs> you need to hit them with a hit them with a spear and make them die. This creatures the demon souls prepares for a mourir. What Sorry, the I, hell was that? <laughs> I was reading the French on the back of the box because I thought it would be applicable, but uh, okay. I can't re- I'm not very good at French, so uh, no, that is the hardest boss battle in the game, and you really need to uh, – John, we know. Go go to the bathroom. Do whatever you want to do. Uh, really, and I actually did it again for like the fifth time last night, and if you have a partner, it's really easy. Well uh, – <laughs> uh, I did it uh, – I, I was able to beat those two bastards by myself like one time, but it's really, really hard. That's but, what she said. But you know, uh, Dark Souls, great effing game. It is so, favorite. It is my favorite game of this console generation currently. Dark Souls is. I don't know if I'm prepared to say that, but it is without a doubt my favorite RPG release this year, easily. Yep. Um, I, I actually I haven't beaten it yet. Did you say I saw your write up for Dark Souls? I haven't read it through it yet because I've been crazy busy. Um, they fixed the they fixed the glitch. Did they fix the glitches? They fixed a, a great number of them. It's easier to uh, get people to help you. Like the the whole connection thing's better between other players. Okay. Uh, the main glitch, which was the infinite soul glitch, that's been fixed. Uh, a lot. The weapons now do better damage. Uh, some of the enemies that didn't drop souls now drop souls. The game, I would say, is easier now. It's yeah, but you know what? Easy. Some of that was not because the game was designed properly. It was because it was just busted in some spots. Yeah, like I still contend that the last boss in that game is way too freaking hard. Like if you try to beat him one-on-one, it's practically impossible. 
you have to you have to play a perfect fight because if he hits you once, he stun locks you and the match is over. And so I, I was able to beat him twice, but it was like after, you know, 20 attempts each time. King of Lake could stun lock you too, though, in Demon Souls. Yeah, but he was slow. And the main, uh, well, the final uh, boss in Dark Souls is really fast. Well, we can't talk too much about it because I haven't gotten there yet. But, uh, but at least that means when I beat Zelda in an hour, I'm going to have to get back on Dark Souls. Yeah, it, it's a great game. Uh, I think it plays better now. It's easier. There's a lot more humanity in the game now, like a lot more of the humanity item to make yourself human, to like allow people to come back into your world and whatnot. You mean I don't it's have okay. to farm rats anymore? No, you don't. <laughs> you get them now whenever you beat a boss, and a lot of bosses oh, cool. drop twin humanity. So, like, I'm running around with, like, 150 humanity now. That's a lot. Oh, I'm going to come kill you. Like, you, it, it, the game's much better now. I think they ironed it out, and it's now a more pleasant experience, whereas when it initially came out... It, 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 could, gr- it, it could grate on you when it came out. Yeah, like, there were rough I, spots. I death, but there were parts where you'd be like, all right, really? Yeah, you you get pissed, and there there aren't as many of those anymore. That's good. You know, overall, I think just w- what I get out of that game is that it's kind of a modern, three D version of like a Castlevania. The progression is like you know a Castlevania or a Metroid game. It's yeah. just it, the, the way the world opens up to you, and it's very like everything's connected. And at first, it doesn't seem that way, and just everything starts to come together. And it's just there aren't many games that feel that cohesive. And I think total credit to it. Yeah, and it's the best action RPG combat ever. We we've talked so much about it. I think we're we're kind of done with it, but I, I'm not kidding when I say that it's my favorite game of this generation. It's just I can't stop. It's become my comfort food game. Where like if I just want to sit down That's and like ironic. if I want to listen to like a podcast, excuse me, if I want to listen to a podcast or if I want to like kind of zone out or whatever, I just play Dark Souls, and I'm so comfortable in that world now. See, and I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum where it's not that I don't like Dark Souls. It's just that I don't care about it. That's fine. That's fine. It's not for everybody. I mean, I, you know, it's not It's not a game that I would recommend to everyone. I One of my students bought the damn game, and he's like, how do you beat the Taurus Demon? He's so freaking hard. And oh, like, my God. I would have really just throw it away now, bro. I was like, dude, if you can't beat him – you ain't getting anywhere in that game. And he was like, Mr. Steinman, I will beat this game. And I was like, I'll make you a $1,000 bet that you will not. <laughs> I don't think you're going to beat it. <laughs> it. It's just not a game for everybody, but I really like it. Um, I'm very hopeful that we see another one. I know I wasn't initially excited at the prospect of playing another game in that realm, but I am now. I, th- I think, too, because it's... Our, our uh, game of the year feature will be up by the time this comes out. I think that's ultimately why I was okay with the Witcher 2 being selected as the game of the year because I love Dark Souls to death and it is, it's just like we were talking about Legend of Heroes. It scratches an itch and a lot of people aren't going to have the itch that Dark Souls scratches. It's an incredible game but it is an exhausting game and it is by no means a relaxing game. I find it very relaxing. Well, yeah, but at this point you've booked the game, but... Yeah, I mean I I have the game memorized at this point. Like, I I know what I'm doing. The Witcher 2 as an overall experience I think will appeal to more people. I would agree. I would agree. Uh, I just think that Dark Souls is everything I want in a game. Absolutely. It's everything that I want. And you're right. It's a modern Castlevania. And it's it's a better Castlevania game than Lords of Shadow. Lord knows. Hey, I got that game from the site, and I think that game is awesome, so shut up. Uh, how far have you gotten? Uh, I'm, I've almost beaten it. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, the Vampire Castle is the best area in the whole game. Once you get past that, the game kind of tanks a little bit. Moving on. Okay. Guys, we forgot Ghost Trick. 
Oh, oh so God, good. we did. Uh, you know, I like Missile Ghost is the best character of the year. I'm just saying. Just putting that out there. That, that was a heartwarming game. Wait, did you say Missile, Zach? Missile, missile the dog. The yeah. I'm just you said missile, yes. Missile. Okay, dog. just make sure. Uh, okay. Not Miss- missile, not missile, the main character. Fires he missiles. No, missile the dog is. is the I'm best just character. putting this out there that missile from Phoenix Wright was a better missile. Oh boy. I haven't played enough. I don't think I played the one that he's in. All right, he like missile is not even like a real character in it. It's it's another dog, but um, it's a cuter one. It's a Shinibu. Yeah, but. This one's a Pomeranian <laughs> that's super awesome, and what's wrong with you? Uh, I don't know. I, I Ghost really Trick was liked, also really good. I liked Ghost Trick. It, it really did warm my heart. Like, I really liked the ending to that game. I haven't gotten to play that yet. That's like, it's not like Phoenix Wright, is it? No, no. It's very uh, well, puzzle-oriented. It, like, it, Yeah, it's the same developers as Phoenix Wright. But that's the one where, like, you can embody any object that's near where someone died. and you uh, could, Certain like, objects. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, the game's very snooty at times. Like it, it was, it was frustrating at times because you you have to like prevent a character from dying, and so you'll you have to go up into a lampshade in order to get to the fan to get across the room to spill a bottle of water to make them slip in it or something. Are there any puzzles where like it's like old King's Quest where like you have to turn into a pumpkin to turn on the computer? to find the guy's wig to end up upstairs driving a Lamborghini. There's nothing that bad, but I definitely had to look at some FAQs because I was getting really frustrated with that game. There's a couple puzzles in, like, toward the middle of the game that I was just like, what the hell? It's definitely it's definitely kind of odd at points, but the, I think the story is, is somewhat underrated in how solidly put together it is. So it's it's, it's, it's bat crap crazy, but it's awesome. Oh, it's really crazy, but somehow it's it's crazy in a way that works. And crazy in a way that's well thought out and doesn't just make you think like, well, where the heck did this come from? Um, even though, to, even though it doesn't play that. Um, definitely, it's definitely. I think it's worth playing. That was another one of the games that I played in Japan. The one that I actually got into my DS and and brought around on the train when I wasn't reading. Uh, so, the trains in Japan. It's yeah. a good game. It's it's made very well for the for the touch screen and for handheld gaming. I mean, it's what I want in a handheld game. That's that's one area where uh, maybe we'll talk about it in the third segment, but like that's that's one thing about the Vita. I don't want to play Uncharted on my Vita. I don't want to play You don't want to play Uncharted anywhere. But I don't want to play it on my Vita. I want to play you know, I, different I, games. I, people said that for Silent Silent Hill, that's not one of the thing of um uh yeah and siphon filter both the siphon filters for psp were good functional games on the psp yeah but i just don't want to play them you know what i mean like i, w- I want to play different oh. experiences on my handheld i want to do things on my handheld that are built that for a handheld unspeakable things rob that's oh. illegal and we're yes. not going to talk about Seriously. it oh, for god's sake good lord eh. it's one of does what I'm saying makes sense, though. Like, why would I want to play I, it on that? I've, I've heard that argument frequently, and I respect that argument, but uh, I, I don't agree with it. I, I want to play anything they can throw at me on a handheld. Fact. I can play Uncharted on the Vita while I watch hockey. Oh, there you go. Uh, okay. Personally, I'll, I'll, what I'm excited about the Vita is when they inevitably port Shadow Hearts 1 and 2. Never. Uh, but it would be <laughs> cool to think about. There's two more games I need to play. Thank you for. Oh no! Wait, Atlas will go ahead and port the digital Desire games. Thank you, Atlas, in advance. 
I you know what? I wonder what's happened to the the Shadow Hearts licenses in North America. I know like the the company that developed it no longer exists in Japan. Is a ruse developed it and then yeah, a ruse no longer exists. The company that published the first two in North America, Midway, no longer exists. Warner Brothers purchased a bunch of their stuff, but I don't know if the rights to didn't Exceed publish the Exceed published the third one. Yes. So what exactly happens if that company like you know dissolves and nobody buys the rights to it? Like where do they go? It disappears into outer space. You know, I I I don't know. I said a bunch of Midway's rights got bought by by Warner Brothers, but that's a very good question. I don't know. I don't it's, it's, know. It's a shame because I, even though the third one wasn't as strong as the other two, which I think is just because it didn't have the same cast, or at least Yuri, I, I, those are awesome games, and I just, it's such a shame. I need to, damn it, now I need to play. I'm so stressed. New New Year's resolution to myself. I'm only going to play one game at a time. Shadow Hearts. Right. Um, I want to talk about a piece of DLC before we get into our, our big boys at the end of the year, which toaster is... Toaster time. What? Is it toaster time? Yes, it is toaster time. Sweet. <laughs> a Fallout New Vegas Old World Blues, which is is probably my favorite experience of the year. It's not a game on its own right, so I can't say that. But uh, Old World Blues has an amazing cast of characters, which is an incredibly weird thing to say for a Fallout game, because Fallout's about the overall experience in the world, not about the characters. Um, it had challenging combat i can look back and say it was challenging now when i was playing it it was making me angry because it was difficult but and and it had that kind of 1950s sci-fi vibe going for it and it just worked everything about this piece of content worked and i just loved playing through it to see what would happen next i had my my dog brain machine gun and you know, it it was just amazing, and it's it's. I wish that I could tell all you listeners to go buy it because it's five dollars on Steam today with all the DLC DLC as two fifty. But by the time you listen to this, all the Steam sales will be over. It's such a shame. I I wanted to play it. I'm just uh, you know we're gonna talk about it here in a second with Skyrim. I really am tired of those games. Like I'm I'm burnt out. And don't play them, Rob. Yeah, I'm not. Like, I, it doesn't mean that they're bad games. Don't hate I'm, on everyone's fun. I'm not hating. Like, if people want backwards flying dragons, that's fine. Uh, there, there are no backwards flying dragons in Old World Blues. And honest to God, Old World Blues doesn't feel like it, it's it's still Fallout, Fallout or Fallout in the Bethesda style. But it it feels so much more guided than the rest of the game almost mm-hmm. like there there are side quests if you want them but if you just want to go and talk to crazy people <laughs> you can go and talk to crazy people and you know what you're better for it i always talk to crazy people but do you arc, talk to stop arc, signs arc, arc. no yeah. that's just vampire <laughs> <laughs> no you, you stop, stop. <laughs> <laughs> I love that game. Um, so I guess we will get into kind of the the big boys that came out at the end of the year then. Well, there's Skyrim. one in pre- Skyrim. That was about it. Uh, Zelda, the Old Republic. 
Oh yeah, those games. Eh. Those those other multi-million dollar titles. You know, I don't know if you remember them, Rob. I don't. I actually. Can we talk about Zelda first? Because I'm in the process of finishing it. Okay. All right. Um, I have it now. I just haven't started it. Yeah, me too. As I have said like a million times, I hate 3D Zelda. I didn't like Ocarina of Time. I didn't like Majora's Mask. Uh, Wind Waker had firebomb your house. Wind Waker just Wind Waker I liked better than the other two. Of course, everyone hated it because it was too cute. Um, until the end when they had the stupid fetch quest. Like I, I didn't like Twilight Princess. Yet for some reason, Skyward Sword is just totally awesome. Um, the dungeon design is insanely good. Uh, like, and not just that, but getting to the dungeons is actually fun, which is what I think is different about this one from Ocarina of Time and those other ones, is that before it felt like you were just kind of grinding until you got to the dungeon to get a new item so you could actually go do something new. Now it's like, even getting to the dungeon will take you two, three, you know, one or two hours, and there's so much fun stuff they have you do, just like little uses for items and just, like, the entire game is just so well designed, and I, I think it was actually designed by a newer team than the other ones, so that could be why it's so different, but just the items are... The, the items you get now are just they're used more creatively and kind of like the old 2D ones. You actually use your items outside of the dungeon. You get them in. It's not just get this item, finish the dungeon, beat the boss with it, use it again twice. You know, the, the last couple dungeons, you use everything you found. And that's just that's what I really thought was missing from some of the other Zeldas. In addition to the awesome art aesthetic and just like there are so many small details. Like if you stab a pumpkin with your sword, instead of just cutting it in half, it gets stuck on your sword and you'll run around with a pumpkin stuck in your sword until you swing it. And then they will fly off. And if you hit somebody in the face, they'll be like, yo, don't hit me with the pumpkin, bro. And yeah, the chicken murdering's not as good as, uh, um, reckoning though. Actually, there's no chicken murdering because there are no chickens in this one. That that is uh, mind blown. Yeah, they uh, they killed a few sacred cows in this one, and uh, one of them was the cuckoos. They're gone. But uh, also gone is Tingle, at least as far as I've seen. So for that, uh, they can cut anything else they want because God, that guy was annoying. And uh, one, I, thing, I, I'm assuming you didn't play his game for the DS. I did not play his game for the DS because he ruined Wind Waker. I. You know what? I'm going to go check and see if they have that on Zavi and how cheap it is. <laughs> so, Legend of Zelda, Skyward Sword, I need to play it, huh? I, I, it's divided a lot of people. Some people don't care for it as much, and I think it might be because the motion controls can be funky sometimes. Um, i found that I can resolve that by just turning off my remote and recalibrating it. it. There are times where the controls have frustrated me. I got The only time I got truly angry, though... There's one side quest where basically whenever you fall off a really tall building or something, he goes into free fall mode because the game is built for skydiving, like when you fly around on the map. And they expect you to make this incredibly precise jump to get to a nest on top of a house from one area. And the controls are utterly, completely uncooperative. Like, unless you jump it perfectly, you won't make it. And the game will literally, you'll be falling in one direction, and then for no reason, he'll just start flying off in the other direction. Uh, and there's another way to solve the puzzle, but I don't want to spoil it in case anyone plays it. And it doesn't require that, so I did that. Hey, the Tingle game for DS is 14.95 L's. What is that in real money? Like 22-ish. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm pretending to be an idiot. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't think I, as a fan of the two Zelda's more, this feels more like one of those to me than any of the other ones did. And I just think it's a great game, and you know it's definitely worth you know 
that we got one decent game this year if you know you don't import. <laughs> That's the we're, we're talking. We'll, okay, he's talking about Xenoblade. If you couldn't figure it out, which is ineligible for our awards this year, because, is it ineligible for a discussion? Yes, uh, because we are going way over on time. Yes. Okay. That's <laughs> I, love, I love how I finally picked up a Wii. Me and my girlfriend picked one up, and it's like the very end of the freaking life cycle. <laughs> It's the best time to get it. That's when I got a Dreamcast. Yeah, well. All right. What other games came out at the end Skyrim. of the year? Also, well, we oh. just talked about Skyrim. So, like, yeah, but he, but here's the thing. Really big thanks to, as I look at the email, uh, Zarek ZJ. Uh, um, I'm sorry if I got your name wrong, but uh, he sent me a wonderful uh, little uh, clip that I'm going that I'm going to uh, post onto here. Oh, <laughs> Dang it! I can't. I can't get the. Uh, I'll have to forward you guys the email, but it's it's with a backwards flying dragon, and he added in like the beeping sound of a car backing up. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm I'm very very thankful that he did it. I'm I'm watching it right now. I'll send you guys the link. Uh, it's on YouTube. We we might need we might need to put this into the show notes because it made me very very happy. So you are now officially a friend of the show as I watch it again, and uh, thank you for that. I heard I, I heard an arrow to the knee dubstep remix oh, yeah. playing Trackmania <laughs> two on the on the giant bomb server. Uh, if you guys get a chance to play Trackmania on that server, keep an eye out. Um, it's it's dubstep, but also Skyrim. So and I'm divided on the meme. So but there's also the meme theme in there. It's really cool. I didn't is, notice it. Is is the meme the arrow in the knee meme? Yes. It is. That is that. I I'm really divided because I've never heard it in my game. I've heard it so much. Never since ever. Ever since someone mentioned it, I I notice it all the time now. Guys, I I used to website as on the internet, but then I took an arrow to the knee. Congratulations, (laughs) we are now done with memes, please. I was going to play more Dark Souls, and I took an arrow to the knee. No, you didn't, Rob. You didn't take an arrow to the knee. All right, we're done. We, We are done with memes for today. Good. So our net contribution is I talked about how great Skyward Sword was, and for Skyrim we just talked about all the weird memes. Pretty much. Yep. Yeah, well, that's, well I mean, that's we have a whole other podcast, two podcasts, honestly. Like, yeah, we, we, the, we have spoken enough about Skyrim. Skyrim is a very competent game. I think all of us have aired our grievances since it is just past Festivus. I have not talked enough about the combat. Oh, yes, you have, I'm Rob. You don't... You, I'm teasing. Guys. I got a ring where I can eat people, and then people tell me I have bad breath. <laughs> <laughs> I've got that ring too. Where That's is this I, ring, and why don't I have near, it? You go to one of the halls of the dead, and you get a quest where you become a cannibal. Yep, it's pretty rad. Right. You have bad breath. <laughs> yeah, pretty, like what, it's, it's something like it, so. Instead of me hearing air to the knee all the time, it's just like, well, what have you been eating? I'm constantly <laughs> sick too. What's great? That's okay. That's okay. I'm gonna say one thing about Skyrim, then we have to move on. What bothers me is that when you're sick, you being sick replaces the first piece of dialogue for a lot of NPCs. You'll talk to them, and they'll be like, "You're feeling sick," and I'm like, "And your dialogue choices have to do with talking about their brother, which was <laughs> supposed to be the first dialogue option, but they told you you look sick." Yeah, man, you don't look so good. <clears throat> I don't want to catch your disease. You look sick. How's your brother doing? I thought the guy was just chastising me because I was a dark belt. I was like, you racist mother. Like, I didn't realize that I was actually sick. Hey, I, hey, I, take it easy. I had missed whatever I had contracted. It was like rat bear fever or whatever. <laughs> All right. 
So last last game of the year, and actually maybe we won't talk about this this year because none of us have played enough of it, and we already had a podcast devoted to it. Didn't you do that last time too? Yeah. Yes, he did. I was listening to the Star Wars radio dramas while me and my girlfriend were driving up to Niagara Falls, and they were excellent. Nerd. Really? Did they did they replicate the scene when he went no? You shut, you shut your goddamn mouth, Steve. Hey, that scene never well, happened. Hold on. Um, I, I have to pull out my huge Star Wars nerd card here. Did you recognize the differences between the call signs of the X-Wings and the Y-Wings compared to the movies? Yes. Okay. Just making sure. Just saying. Are you talking about in the Old Republic? No, no, no. In, in the radio dramas versus the movies, there are different designations of the colors of the X-Wings and the Y-Wings. Yeah, the Y wings are, are gold unit, right? Uh, in the movie, they're gold. It, it, it's gold and red in the movie, and I think it's blue and yellow. No, I hey. think it's still red and gold in the radio drama. But I'll go back. Do you have the radio drama as well? Because that's kind of cool. I, I, I listened to it like years ago. Yeah, no, I, I was really enjoying listening to it. Although, like, only have hearing Mark Hamill's voice, it, like, it, it was kind of frustrating listening to everybody else's. But they all do competent jobs. That's a uh... I need to pick those up, I guess, because I'm about to drive to Washington for MAGFest, and I needed something to listen to. That would probably scratch that itch. I need to stop using that phrase. Yeah, you really do. Like, it's almost as bad as, well, here's the thing. Or almost as good as, well, here's the thing. And Steinman is fired two times over. All right, let's go for three here. All right. Sure. I, I think that's that's a lot of what came out this year. This was so a good games. year for us. Yeah, I, I declared I declared last year that uh, 2011 would be RPG fans' 2010 year RPG year of the year. Uh, <laughs> I hear and, and I think I, I, I think I, I might have been right. Any of that? I don't know. There, I, I think that 2012 might win RPG fans' 2011 RPG year of the year. <laughs> I hereby declare this year RPG year. <laughs> it was it was a good oh, year, year for RPGs. We have gone silly, and we still have another section to talk about. So stay stay tuned. We have have to use the power of relativity. Remember, the section that we record later was recorded after the section that we recorded like five days ago. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a little break. Uh, Zach will hopefully splice in a nice little musical interlude here. Uh, And then we're going to talk a little bit about one of the upcoming games of the year, which is Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning. And after that, we will then talk about 2012. So stay tuned. So now we're here and we're going to talk about uh, Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning, which uh, everybody right now has played except for me. So joining me for this segment, we have... You're not going to start with hello and welcome to Random Encounter, the RPG fan podcast? No, because we talked about how this is going in the middle of the podcast. So... Oh, that's right. I'm an idiot. <laughs> I, we're keeping this in. All right. So John, John McCarroll is with me today. I, I'm benevolent dictator for life. Um, I am Keeper X on our forums. All right. Uh, we have the man who was the last person to see Kingdoms of Amalur. He actually went to a little trip to San Francisco to see it. Kyle E. Miller. And then we have the man who took about a half hour to get his mic working because, you know, we're just a rinky-dink operation here of a podcast. 
Dave Yeager, but don't worry, I'm only in charge of like all the programming and tech, so it should be no problem. <laughs> All right, so um, we're talking about one of the big games of next year, Kingdoms of Mamalore Reckoning comes out, what is it, February 7th? Yes. All right, so this is coming from EA. This is a brand new world, uh, kind of a collaboration effort. We got some Todd McFarlane art styling mixed in with uh, one of the main creators behind Oblivion and Morrowind. So you guys have all played this game, and what's interesting is I literally had no interest in this title until John came back and he was kind of incoherent and talking about murdering chickens. And it was just, it was a bizarre conversation with John. But now as I see this game more and more, I'm getting more and more excited. So Kyle, you were the last person to see it. You wrote a wonderful preview of it. Tell us about your, your journey through the kingdoms of Amalur. Well, as I said in my preview, two things, really two things stood out to me. Number one, how much stuff was in it, how many different things you can do. I thought it was more of a hack-and-slash game. It's more of an open-world game. It's more of an Elder Scrolls kind of game, which isn't surprising considering the some of the developers. And the other thing that stood out to me was the combat. And I think that the combination of an open-world and really action-heavy combat could really win people over. So now, just to back up a second, uh, when it comes to fantasy worlds, because that's what Amalur is, are we talking kind of a, a darker fantasy world, like maybe you know uh, Game of Thrones, Dragon Age? Are we talking more high fantasy, kind of like Elder Scrolls? Like, it, it's kind of hard to tell because the game's art style is very, very striking. So where does this fit in into that continuum of fantasy? I would put it in the middle. It's not dark, but it doesn't seem to be quite as light as something like World of Warcraft, I guess. Mm-hmm. Now, w- one thing that, that's good to make note of is the, the guy behind this world is uh, R.A. Salvatore. So, you know, creator of, of Drizzt Dorden and, and uh, you know, all those fun Forgotten Realms guys that you're... I was going to say... It, this is totally speaking my language. It's like the 33-year-old guy who's been playing Dungeons <laughs> and Dragons forever. You know, like the the pedigree on this game is out of control, uh, just in terms of the people behind it. You've got R.A. Salvatore, who you know definitely pitched in and creating Dragonlance, Forgotten Realms, building those universes, multi multiple times New York New York Times bestseller. You've got Todd McFarlane, who of course created Spawn, but like more importantly for you know uh, 30-year-old dorks like myself. Actually, you know, made lots of, you know, created a, a whole new business of like collectible toys and things like that. And then, of course, uh, on top of that, you've got Ken Rolston, who before he got into Elder Scrolls and things like that, was actually making tabletop RPGs. Yeah. Uh, and then you throw Kurt Schilling into the mix, and as a baseball fan <laughs> and also a Phillies fan, I mean, come on, it just seems unfair. I mean, Kurt- basically, Kurt Schilling, I remember on the visit that I did, he said, if I was drafting a fantasy video game team, it would look like this. And it's kind of hard to argue with some of the pedigree of these guys. I'm just happy to have some, I'm just happy to have somebody on the podcast that's older than me. So <laughs> Dave, I'm Dave, older than you. Are you like, really? I think by a couple of months. December thirteenth, nineteen eighty four. July nineteenth, nineteen eighty four. All right. I'm the oldest guy on, in the room. Yeah, by quite a bit, actually. Ha <laughs> 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 uh-huh. uh, But no, I think that's a really important thing. Not the age, but the the fact that we're talking about a collaboration effort. 
working on this game. And, and you know, R.A. Salvatore apparently wrote, like, what, 10,000 years worth of yep. lore that's right, for yeah. this game, which, which is really cool because I think that's something that BioWare has really had the market cornered on that. Like, I loved the lore that went into Dragon Age. I loved oh, yeah. I, I loved reading those books. I loved finding out about the different conflicts. I don't know what it is so much about like the Elder Scrolls world, but I'm not really interested in that backstory. So I, I'm I'm kind of excited to see what he brings to the table. Now, are, are we talking a world that's very like elves and dwarves and humans and whatnot all living together in a magical mystical land? Because I saw that there's like four four races, correct? There's like light elf, well, dark so elf. There's four playable races, but there's other races in the world. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So so it one does... of the first things that you run into is like gnomes. Okay. okay. So I sorry I didn't mean to cut you off, Kyle. It does seem to be kind of my one of my prob- concerns is that it might be a little bit too derivative. I mean, like, yeah, there are gnomes, there are elves, there are humans. I didn't see any dwarves, which is a plus, I guess. Well, I but guess John's yeah, that is angry. not a plus. Yeah, John is now angry. <laughs> oh. yeah, come on now, <laughs> John. You still need to post the pictures of your Skyrim character at some point. My, my Skyrim character just kind of looks like a, a guy with a mohawk. Like. Yeah, I know, but he looks god-awful. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that that's one issue that you can run into. I think when you when you go to that well of just, like, the high fantasy, you know, dark elf, uh, wood elf, that sort of thing, it, it's a question of whether or not Salvatore's writing can come – it can bring that out into the open. And having no experience with the game, I can't say that. Well, so. One thing that I, that I find incredibly interesting, and this is a conversation that I had with uh, with Bob Salvatore years ago. I, I he was at the Dark Age of Camelot event, uh, and it was it was a conversation that that uh, he was talking about that he had with a fan, talking about how well why why work with such a stereotypical character like like Drizzt that you know it, oh he's a dark elf ranger, and and he said to this fan, well you know what wasn't derivative when i created it i made drizzt and he was unique and he became you know the the status quo that derivative character he became the the archetype yeah it's like you give a kid lord of the rings today and the kid's like oh this is just like dragon age or this is just like skyrim and it's like uh dude like tolkien created that whole stuff like he he created all of it and so i I think that that's one element that you're seeing with this but uh did you guys see a lot of the lore associated with the world did you guys get exposed to a lot of the inner workings because i mean this is the beginning of a franchise hopefully this is part of ea's whole initiative to create franchises to create an mmo remember it's it's not ea's franchise it's 38 studios franchise this this is being published under the uh the EA Partners program, which is the same program that brought, uh, you know, like Shadows of the Damned and uh, oh dear, uh, I'm talking about the publishing program and oh, Rock okay. and and uh, Brutal Legend, and so these are games that that EA, while while being invested in them, they're not EA franchises. They're not okay. They're not Dragon Age. They're not Mass Effect. They, you know, which we we think of those as Bioware franchises, but. Bioware is owned by EA now, so they're, they're invested in these certainly, but it's not—it's not as if these are EA's franchises. This is Kurt Schilling and his company's franchise. One thing that's cool is the history behind this game in particular. All right, is is really interesting because Kurt Schilling basically doubled down when he acquired uh, 
the studio producing this game, big, huge games. So Kurt Schilling, when he retires from baseball, you know, he puts together 38 studios, which is his game company. And, you know, they start to produce, he gets together with R.A. Salvatore and Todd McFarlane, and they start to put together this universe that they're going to, that they're going to work on and make games in. And their first game is originally planned this whole time. It was planned to be an MMO. Well, what happens is big, huge games, all right, they have Ken Rolston, you know, the lead designer of several Elder Scrolls games and a guy who has been around tabletop RPGs forever, did uh, Dungeons & Dragons supplements, uh, you know, has done Warhammer uh, work on settings like that. Guy who's been around a few, who knows a thing or two about RPGs. He's the, you know, kind of lead producer on this new untitled RPG project oh. that Big Huge Games is going to produce. Now, what happens is Big Huge Games uh, looks like they're going to go bankrupt when THQ is going to sell them in 2009, when the whole, you know, when a whole bunch of financial problems occur, you know, everywhere. And in 2009, THQ is looking to basically bury Big Huge Games, and they're all waiting to get their release. And 38 Studios swoops in and buys them and says, we want you to work to take this RPG that you're kind of working on, this concept RPG you're doing, and put it in this setting that we already have. So you've got the gameplay system. You've already making a gameplay system. You want to make a new kind of gameplay system. We've got the setting for you. And so that's how Kingdoms of Amalur came about. And so, interestingly, Kurt Schilling basically doubled down because he's already investing millions of dollars in the Amalur universe on this MMO, and then he goes and buys big, huge games and says, this is going to be the introduction to this universe. Even though it's a single-player RPG, this will be the introduction to get everybody into Amalur. Huh. Well, what's interesting is, and at, at the risk of, uh, if somebody's playing the podcast drinking game, at the risk of making my usual... Uh, yeah. De- yeah. It, it's very similar to something that's happening right now in Japan, where another well-known company is taking over for uh, a well-known game franchise involving sneaking and gears made of metal. So it, it's interesting to see how, like, I, I think that's great that 38 Studios was able to save this because from what I've seen of what Big Huge Games has produced, like, th- this is a really well-functioning game. Now, you guys have played it. So how does it play? Like, how does the hack and slash hold up? Are, are we talking about a game that's going to be up there with God of War, or is it, you know, with uh, more Legend I, of Zelda-y? Like, where is it? So I, the the game that I would most put it, it to, if I were to have to make a direct comparison, which is not the easiest thing, my direct comparison would probably be Darksiders. Okay, okay. Another game um, I can play. Darksiders, it's, it's a... I, I like the combat in Amalert better than I like the combat in Darksiders. But Darksiders is, is a Zelda-style game at the end of the day with God of War-style combat. Um, but it's not as button-mashy as God of War's. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's probably the best parallel. That, In my opinion, that's probably the best parallel that you're going to get. Um, but it's not, it's, it's not a perfect parallel. There's, there's much more depth to the combat in uh, uh, Amalert. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If they do it right, that people are going to say in you know six in, in another year the combat is like Amalur, and I think that's really what they're going for is something totally totally new and interesting. You know, mm-hmm. like at least in the now that the difference between uh, you know myself and Kyle and John is I never got to actually play the game. I, I got to go to uh, to visit them when they had their very first preview of the game, and like you know somebody was sitting down and kind of walking through it. But even visually speaking. The thing is extremely striking. I mean, you haven't really seen anything like it, you know, before. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to, 
comp comparables are really difficult because they because they're trying to do something kind of kind of new and interesting here. One one thing that I find interesting and one thing that I would kind of draw a a it, it's wait you have Bioware and I I know I just skipped a whole bunch of words there but I don't care. Um, you have Bioware that that had kind of Dragon Age and Mass Effect, and both are kind of going in more an action-oriented direction. Mm-hmm. And it took them each a game to get to more action-oriented. So Mass Effect 1 and Dragon Age Origins were both very turn-based and, and not kind of in-your-face action-y. And then the second game was more action-y, and we see with Mass Effect 3 that the third game's even more action-y. Mm-hmm. What what I see Amalur doing is Amalur's on Dragon Age 3, but they're doing it with all the RPG elements that should have been in Dragon Age 2 that were originally in Dragon Age Origins. Mm-hmm. So you're talking like uh, statistics and whatnot, helping out with your character progression, earning new skills, that sort of thing? Yeah, like, like Dragon Age 2 simplified the system from the original Dragon Age, and whether you think that's good or bad, it was simplified. Amalur, not so much. Amalur has a full-fledged statistical system there, and it's sure. it's functional and it's it's good. Mm-hmm. Fairly complicated too. I mean, I jumped into a, I went from level one, and then I jumped into a level twenty character, and like, I, and just looking at my equipment and stuff, I had to stop because I couldn't understand half of it. I mean, I, if I would have tried to understand, I wouldn't have been, been able to actually play the game. So I was really glad to see that there are the numbers there, even though it's a really action-oriented battle system. Mm-hmm. Well, when now, I, uh, go, go ahead. So when when I was there, the, one of the guys that we got a chance to talk to was uh, the lead combat designer, Joe Kodara, and he said that the decision was made early on, even in like you know the concept stage, that they wanted it to be like an RPG at the core. It's got action game depth. And, you know, you can win with Twitch skill, uh, but only up to a certain extent. Like, RPG players are the people they want to, you know, the, kind of the traditional RPG players are the people they want to be able to succeed in this game. So Twitch skill will be able to get you, uh, you know, probably farther than the average RPG player for a while. But eventually you're going to need to have, you know, kind of the traditional strategy and RP and, and, and traditional RPG plane uh, to, to yeah. succeed. And one thing that I found interesting, I think I get the, the most in regards to character progression, because I just got to sit down and play for eight hours from the beginning of the game. Mm-hmm. They, they never handicap you. Like, it's nice to be able to build a character the way that you want to build it without being handicapped. And it's not to the point where, like, Skyrim. We were talking a little bit about Skyrim before the game. Skyrim, you don't have to choose what you want to do. You just do everything. Yeah. In Amalur, yeah. you still have to make choices, and you have to say, okay, I want to do these things. But if then you say, well, maybe I want to do this too, you're not handicapped. Mm-hmm. Like, you can go and change and make yourself whatever you want to be. Exactly. There's not really, like, a class system, right? Yeah, you, the, the, there's the... the, uh, the uh, it's like three skill trees. You've got skill trees, and you can kind of yeah. mix and match, and that unlocks... Yeah, and the, 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 the equivalent to classes are the destinies. That's right. Uh, yep. And the destinies are unlocked based on the amount of skill points that you put into each of the different trees. Yeah. But they give you bonuses. It's not as if they're like, oh, you're this class, you get this skill. No, that's all in the skill points that you distribute. But you can say, okay, I want – even if you're a mage, you can say, okay, I'm a mage, but I have a few points in warrior. I want all my bonuses to go to my warrior skills. I'm going to be the warrior class even though I'm putting all of my points into mage. Now, your warrior class, your destiny, won't be as powerful because you're not putting your skill points there, but you can still use it. 
Now, uh, is combat the main – it sounds like combat's the main focus of the game. That's what See, they keep talking about. But is what, there more to it than that? What's interesting is, is it's combat is a main focus, not the main focus. Okay. They're putting a great deal of work into the depth of story and the world and everything else here. What What amazes me is that the game is very, very open in what you can and can't do. If you don't care about the story and you don't want to even touch it, you can just be like, okay, there's the top option and every dialogue is the fastest option to the next thing that you need to do. Mm-hmm. But if you want to talk to the guys about, you know, the cows in the world and you find a farmer and they're like, oh, man, I love cows. Do you want to hear more about cows? Be like Martin in that Simpsons episode. He moves the joystick. Tell me more. more. Tell me more about Bovine <laughs> University. <laughs> but uh, so I, go ahead. Go ahead. I think, I mean, when I say that the combat stands out to me the most, it's not because necessarily it's the main focal point. It's just that it seems to be the most unique aspect of it. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of other things you can do. I mean, you could probably go off and, I don't know, gather herbs for two hours if you really wanted to. Well, so there are, there are like all those different little activities. To talk about the the combat, I think that... That's one area where Todd McFarlane really had a lot of contribution. I mean, people think Todd McFarlane, and they think, okay, he did the art for the game. Uh, to, to hear Todd McFarlane tell it, at least you know when I was visiting, that is not the case at all. He's basically letting the artists – he said right up front, this, is, this game is not the avenue for my artwork. He said, I don't know anything about video games, so I'm coming at this with a blank slate. What I can do is tweak little things like this little piece of – art or this animation or whatever to make it look more realistic and more visceral. Mm-hmm. And so what he's trying to do is he's taking the little bits and pieces, like, you know, for example, there was a great example that Ken Rolston told. And Ken Rolston, as we know, has designed, you know, a, a few Elder Scrolls games, a few video games in his day. And he said, one of the things he said was that when Todd McFarlane joined that, you know, came onto the team, the first thing he says is, okay, the first thing I want you guys, you guys, the art department, to make me as a human being. And they had come to him with, you know, all these hydras and these things with a ton of a million tentacles, all these cool original monster designs. And I don't care about any of that. You guys draw me a human being. Because if you can make that interesting, then you've already established the art style and you don't need me to do any of that. Mm-hmm. And Ken Rolston said, I don't know why I never heard of this 10, 20 years in this business. Hmm. You know, it's the type of observation that, like, you know, where you just take something and tweak it just a little bit. Like in the in the combat, they kind of slow down certain things. And when I was watching the combat, you know, back in uh, March or whatever it was, they Todd McFarlane was taking notes during the demo that was being done, and he turned around after the after the demo was done and pulled the art team aside and said, you know, when you stab a guy like this, you can't have these blood coming out that looks like grape jelly. We need to have it you know, arc this direction because that's physics. And this is all going on, you know, in front of everybody on the thing, but that's the attention to detail. And I think that's what makes the combat, that's what's going to make the combat so visceral and interesting. You know, just that one, little bit extra. One thing that I want to add there is I don't think that's just limited to Todd McFarlane. Um, when I was at uh, Big Huge Games, you know what? They were going around and they were watching every member of the press play the game, seeing how they played, saying, well, okay, you know what? It, they asked me several times, is, do, you, do you feel that the game is too easy? And I was telling them yes, because right now I'm just button mashing. Unless I hit a huge horde of enemies, there's no challenge whatsoever. 
And they were looking and they were seeing how the game was being played, how people built their skill trees, how they did it so that they could go back and make things better for the player. And you know what? I'm sure that every game company does that, but it's it's amazing to see that up close and just how passionate these guys are about this game. Absolutely. There was a great story Todd McFarlane told about when he was doing Spider-Man and how, you know, it kind of dictated the way that he approaches any piece of work. He said when he was doing Spider-Man, the thing that he spent the most, he would always end up spending the most time on was the nothing throwaway panels in Spider-Man with Aunt May sitting at a table making a sandwich. All right, because his point was if you can make that somehow visually interesting, the the, the shot of Spider-Man jumping out the window at the Green Goblin is going to be easy. Right, right. Um, what was I going to say? I had I had something to to comment. On. Oh, oh. Um, they've talked about how big this game is, and about you know hundreds of quests, hundreds of dungeons, and the thing that really stuck out in my mind when we were talking about the Old Republic was uh, Dave mentioning Kingdoms of Amalur and about how you know we have this big, huge quest about saving the world, and then we have these side quests of Find My Pants. Find My Pants, yes. Did you guys get to experience any of the side quests? Are you making decisions that impact the world? Is there kind of like, I don't know, is there a morality system in the game, or is it just like you're helping out people in the world and basically qu- clicking off or checking off quests like I do all the time when I'm playing Skyrim? I didn't. You, oh, go ahead. I'll, sorry. I didn't get to experience too many side quests because my time with the game was limited. But um, I think it's from what I saw and heard. I think it's sort of there's a little bit of both. I did one side quest where I had to go into a dungeon and just uh, get an item for for somebody. So it was basically a fetch quest, even though they were accompanying me, which made it slightly more interesting. And then there are other quest, side quests where you actually have to make a choice. So I think that they there will be a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't get to experience a whole lot of side quests, not because I didn't have time, but because I was just trying to get through as many story quests as I possibly could in in the time that I was allotted. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, uh, eight hours with a game this large is not a whole lot, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, this is a game that's probably going to be easily a a 40-hour RPG. And for, for me, someone who completes their RPGs very quickly, I really do mean that. Like, it's very interesting to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, like, you know, even, you know, even though I think that the thing that's going to be the eye-popping thing that everybody talks about with this game when it comes out, I think combat's going to be that thing because of that attention to detail and their attempt to make it so visceral. What people I don't think are going to notice, but they're going to, you know, kind of subtle, kind of subliminally appreciate are the little touches like, I mean, for example, if you like Diablo or Torchlight or games like that or Titan Quest, Ian Frazier is the guy who designed the suffix, prefix, socket system for this game. You know, they, they got one of the one of the guys, uh, you know, that was in a combat designer role for uh, uh, Titan Quest. You know, so you're going to have so like if you like that sort of thing, it's there in the game. You know, and I don't know how many games you can point to that are going to be that are coming up that that or that have existed that have every that they're trying to it seems like they're trying to hit every single note that RPG fans look for. Yeah, so I'm really excited about it. That's definitely what I felt. I I think um, big huge games released like a half an hour developer walkthrough. Of, I think it was their E3 demo. I sat down and I watched it, and I was just like, okay, it's got a stealth system in it. It's got a combat system in it. It's got a dialogue system in it. It has loot. I'm just, I'm like, 
good lord, like they're just putting everything together. And the question becomes, are they going to put it together into a package right. that is can compelling? You, can you pull all that off and have it all work? And yeah. Well, I think one thing that surprised me was that I thought this was a big open world game. And no, it is kind of more hub based, isn't it? Like you, you're walking into areas and that sort of thing. Like there's none of that. It's not like Skyrim where it is just a big open world and you can just look up at that mountain and go, I'm going to get up there. Correct. Not not 100 percent. There's a lot of that. Like, really? OK. It, it's it's sorry. Good. It's a it, yeah, it's middle ground. It's it's not as open as an Elder Scrolls. Mm-hmm. But, but you're not you're not seeing a load screen for every single area. Right. Okay. Okay. Now that's interesting. I I just this is a game that I was not interested in at all and hearing you guys talk about it like I'm getting pumped for this game because you know we we talked a lot about Skyrim on the past couple podcasts. As much as I enjoy Skyrim, like it didn't hold my attention for long because the moment-to-moment gameplay doesn't interest me. I love the world and I love the stories that are being told. The gameplay doesn't hold my attention, and I'm kind of a Twitch gamer. I like my action RPGs quite a bit. There's a reason why I'm in the Mass Effect 2 over Mass Effect 1 camp. People think I'm nuts, but like this seems more like a game for me. This is kind of like, well, you're establishing a combat system that if I enjoy it, I will keep coming back to it. There's a reason I've played God of War through multiple times. I really enjoy that combat system. And, you know, for I think it's going to hit a lot of good notes with a lot of different people. I mean, one of the, the Destiny system that John mentioned, you know, that actually has – it's not just a system for kind of determining your skills, you know, and things – and unlocking, uh, you know, various powers. There's also a tie-in to the plot with that. You know, basically the, the character you're playing in, in the world of Amalar and the situation that you find yourself in – Every person in Amalar at the time you're playing the game already has a predetermined fate, and you're basically the first person to be born. You know, you come back from from death, the first person to successfully do this. You know, based on a, a machine that is being uh, is being made. You basically you're the first person to be born without a, without a predetermined not to be born, but to come back without a predetermined destiny, and that makes you unique in the world. And so the destiny system is a reflection of that. You're one of the only. You're the only person in Amalar that can determine their own fate. And as you interact with other people, you can alter their fate as well. Which is why you have these. And I think uh, Kyle and John will probably talk about this. You have these fate kills and things like that, where the action kind of slows down, where you're changing the pre the predestination that was there for that character you're interacting with or that monster you're fighting. So they're taking all this stuff and. Everything has to have – I mean this was one of the things already Salvatore said was everything has to have a reason. You can't just include it because it's cool, although they seem to be including a lot of cool stuff. You can't just include it because it's cool. It has to have a reason uh, to make coherent sense in the universe they're trying to make. Well, another thing that interests me are the different play styles because you have the three skill trees. I think it's what might, finesse, and magic. And so mixing and matching skill trees, do you want to be like a pure melee brawler? We all know that's what John's going to do. I'll probably be the stealthy character, and you know, when Steven plays this game, he's just going to be the mage and just look wise. And it'll be fun to mix and match those abilities, and you know, I'm always going to be concerned with whether or not I can break my character. It's like uh, the, the magic in Skyrim was awesome for like the first couple hours, and then all of a sudden it just stopped working. 
And I was like, well, I'm not really doing any damage to anyone anymore, so my character is broken. All right, now I just need to start equipping heavy armor and making myself feel better. So it, it'll be interesting to see how they balance the whole game out. Can you can you really mix and match skills and not get to a point late in the game where you go, oh, crap, I, I've done screwed myself? Right. Now, really, that really is the trick. I mean, we've we've been told this type of thing before. You know, we've been told a lot of these things in previous games. We've, you know, we're used to getting promises, you know, as gamers uh, that don't always quite pan out. But uh, Dragon Age Two. <clears throat> well, I wasn't going to name names. Uh, I, I'll, but Dragon Age Two. Dark so, Souls. I mean, hey, <laughs> so, hey. So I mean, you know, it, it's it'll be interesting to see how, if they're able if they're able to pull it off. Uh, you know, and it's the timing of the game is also really interesting to me. You know, the timing of when this thing is going to be coming out, because it's basically up against all these established franchises that we've got in this space now. You know, I mean, everybody goes nuts for the new Elder Scrolls game. Everybody goes nuts for the new Bioware release. And it's, you know, this is the setup for an MMO in the Amalar universe that's going to be coming out that millions of dollars have been spent on already. I mean, there's a lot riding on this. Well, that would be really interesting to see what happens. I was going to bring that up. Um, we've already seen that EA's marketing is clearly behind the game already. Like, I, I can't like n- I, I can't surf the internet without seeing an ad for Amalor, and already that's a really good sign that they're supporting this game quite a bit. I think that's that's one of the reasons why you partner with EA for this kind of title. But you're right, Dave. This game is coming out a week after Final Fantasy Thirteen Two. Um, Mass Effect Three is what March fifteenth. So Am I right on that? March I, don't, I, I don't know. It's, I don't it's know. March close something enough, or other. Close enough to make the point. I mean, close enough, but but not right on top of it. I mean, I, I think it's got like a month leeway in there, which is pretty good. But it, it'll be interesting to see. Is this a game that can come out? I, I think it's better that they're launching it in February. I think if they had launched this thing at the end of 2011, if they had launched it now, it would have gotten lost. Right. Right. There's no way this game, a, a brand new IP, would have been able to establish itself, and it's a shame because I'm really excited about this game. And what what happens too? I mean, this is the scary part. If you're, you know, the money man, Kurt Schilling, what happens if this game doesn't take off like they think it's going to? Now you have years of an MMO in this universe. You've invested. Is anybody going to play that? So I mean, well, there's a lot riding on this game. It's going to be one of the most interesting stories of uh, of next year, I think. Well, he could always come out of retirement, go back to playing baseball for a little bit, make, make some of that money back. I suppose that's true, but he definitely. I don't, could. I don't know. He probably wants to go out on top, you know. Well, so. or, or you know, when the old republic fails, he could just swoop in and buy that. Oh, <laughs> I, I, Rob, I'm kidding. Yeah. I'm kidding. Come on. <laughs> Look, if you're gonna do okay, you, yeah, yeah, you, you got you got to call an MMO that's actually probably going to fail. <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right. You know, if, if you if you go in like EverQuest three or I'm oh, gonna fourteen. My, my 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 Sony contact. Give <laughs> yeah. me if I say that. Um, <laughs> I mean, if it you know, I I know that we're we're not talking about uh, the old Republic today, but we probably will soon. Is it it's going to be incredibly successful? I think. Yeah, people seem excited over it, so I think there's room, and I, I think. But but Star Wars has that Star Wars license around exactly. it, and so exactly. is yeah. is Amalor going to have a license around it with this action RPG? Is that going to be enough to establish it? And I don't know. Could you yeah. release a Mass Effect uh, MMO right now? And do you? That's think a really people, good question. Would people be interested? I don't know. You know, that's one of the things that I mean. You know, they're aware of it. I mean, Kurt Schilling said 
you know, we've got an original IP, which is the coolest thing and the biggest gamble you can possibly take. Yeah. Because, you know, if it were, if it's successful, you know, you can do whatever you want and really explore some amazing ideas. But if it doesn't work, all that work you put into creating this IP, you know, goes kaput when you could have been focusing it on something, you know, that people are already familiar with. So it's a big, it's a big gamble, especially when you've bought a second game studio and brought it under your umbrella for the purpose of showing off this IP. You know, yeah. what, one yeah. thing that's interesting is, you know, I, a lot of people talk about the, the difficulties of launching a new IP, but you know what? All the big IPs right now have been launched within the past, you know, 10 years or so. Call of Duty, which is one of the biggest sellers ever. You know, it came out, what, originally in 2002, 2003, something like that? Like, I suppose that's true, but I would say that I bet you you could point to a lot more IPs that never went anywhere than you could. Oh, yeah. oh I, no, no. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, and so, I mean, that's not to say it's impossible. Of course not. I think that there's, you know, I think that the gaming audience is big enough, you know, to have room for another IP. I just, it's it's always, it's a, it's a big gamble, especially when you've got, the th- I mean, remember, this isn't just a new game that they're coming out with, and if it doesn't work too bad, the fact that you've got an MMO that's been in development for seven, eight years behind it on the tails of this thing, I mean, that's the terrifying part for Kurt Schilling's accountants, if you ask me. I mean, you got to be hoping that this thing takes off. But, you know, I think that – oh, I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut Kyle off. Go ahead. That's why I asked the associate producer, you know, with all these other games coming out, why are people going to be playing Emelor? I mean, he's, he just said it's better, but... <laughs> like, I, I, I don't disagree with that. I, I think that word of mouth is incredibly important. And I think that, that when people play Emily, they're going to say, wow, this is a really good game. Yeah, it, it, I was already talking with some of my students about it. Like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm already corrupting young minds. And we were talking about Skyrim, and we're all sitting around, like, in the dorm room, and, and I'm watching the kids play, and we're having a really good time. And the kids kept saying, God, if, if only the combat was better. And I was like, well, you know, there's a game coming out in February. Yeah, see? See? Big, huge games. I'm already pimping your game already to, to small sure. children. And I, I was just like, you know, there's a game coming out that – is hoping to combine that open world, you know, big RPG like the Elder Scrolls with a great combat engine. It's called Kingdoms of Amalur. It looks interesting. And I think that people are hungry for this kind of game. I think, you know, as much as, you know, I, I love Dark Souls, it's not for everyone. But I think people want that real action RPG. They want that. They're really, really yeah. excited for it. And I mean, why do we play RPGs, right? Yeah. I mean, one of the big reasons is to, you know, do something, you know, to be super cool. I could do a thing that's cool that you can't do, you know, in, in real life. Why do we play video games? You know, so if you can make the combat interesting and easy to get into, I think it uh, I think that just gives you that that's the gateway. That's the gateway drug. If the con- if the game is fun to play, if the game is just fun to play, you know, then all the other stuff becomes icing on the cake. The detailed yeah. loot systems, the hugeness of the world. Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so, and I, I think that tapping into what Amalor does to separate it from the other RPGs out there, the fact that they're talking about the combat system, the fact that they're showing that off first, I think that's how you get people initially hooked. Boy, that's a great point. I mean, how many RPGs talk about that? Yeah, you know, how many RPGs? The first thing they say is, "You're going to love our combat." Yeah, usually that's a JRPG that thing. Usually yeah. it's a well, JRPG thing. Exactly. Well, usually what you hear is we've got X amount of quests, we've got this many worlds, we've got da-da-da-da-da, and you know what? There is that in Amalur, but they're saying, you know what? We've got all that stuff, but we've got this, too. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm I'm excited for it, guys. I mean, I I think it could end up surprising me right now. Uh, I think I'm I may actually be looking forward to this a little bit more than Mass Effect Three, just because I, I know what I'm going to get out of Mass Effect Three and I know I'm going to enjoy it. But this this looks a little bit different. This looks like something that I've wanted. I wanted Skyrim's combat to be not not as flashy as Amalor, you know what I mean? But I wanted it to be as fleshed out and as big of a part of the game experience. It's fun. It, exactly. Wanted it I fun. wanted the combat yeah. to be fun and not a chore. And I think, unfortunately, the action RPG or the RPG in general right now, it sometimes the combat becomes a chore. And, you know, that that doesn't have to be. And so I'm excited for it. Uh, one other question I meant to ask. Are there difficulty levels? Yes. I, yeah, you said yep. that you pumped it up to hard and it was difficult, right? Uh, yeah, no, the, and when I played, they hadn't balanced any of the difficulties okay. yet. Okay. It's just, I want a challenge out of it. I mean, I'm, I consider myself pretty good at, like, God of War and Ninja Gaiden, so I usually play those games on hard, uh, just to give myself a little bit of a challenge, so I'm interested. I'm, I'm very, I'm very excited. I did have a question, too, about, about the, to the guys who have played it now. Uh, one of the things that they said when I was there, I asked them about level scaling, you know, and, uh, oh. And they said that what they've done is that it, it's, it's supposed to be banded level scaling. Right. Basically, you've got these creatures that will scale up to a certain point, but then they won't go beyond it. So, you know, you will actually have the feeling of actually getting better, you know, as opposed to a game like Oblivion, for example. You know, uh, so is that still the case? Did, I mean, I guess with eight hours, you probably didn't have much time. But did you notice any of that? I mean, that's what they said. Um, I I got to like level nine or ten, so I didn't have a whole lot of that. Okay. Uh, I I one thing I started doing towards the end of my my play is that I I was in a place where enemies were harder, and they were harder. That was that was one hundred percent true. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I I'm excited. Uh, I, the level scaling thing. Makes me a little nervous. I, I think uh, it's <laughs> it's what it's going to be is it's probably going to be like okay, this is a level eighteen enemy. If you are between levels fourteen and twenty two, we're going to scale this enemy to your level. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. It, it just I I told you about my experiences and and how now Skyrim everywhere I go is just filled with like bandit chieftains, and it, that to me is not fun. We we talk about why we play RPGs. I love an RPG where I feel stronger as I'm going. There's something really cool about fighting an enemy that made your life a living hell and just blasting them with like yeah. the the strongest f off spell you got. Right. It sounds like you're going to be able to do that. Yeah. I, so I was just curious. I was just curious if that was uh, still the case for the guys who played. Well. Uh, so, any final thoughts on Amlor? John, how was fighting the chickens? What was it? <laughs> I am Dorf, the chicken slayer. Uh, I have to admit, when I got to, to the first village, I started killing chickens as well. <laughs> it has a it has a crime system in the game too, right? So you oh, can yeah, like, steal does. stuff. It, it, but it's not like as as big as like it, if you walk into a house in Skyrim. One of my favorite things to do is just literally steal everything. So it's not like you can steal like an apple, a pear, a spoon. It's not like you can no. do that, right? No. no, you can't pick up anything. It's just. You know, steal from a, a treasure box that somebody owns. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's so that's so fun. I like yeah, that. I experienced the. I started killing off as many guards as I could, possibly could before being sent to jail. So it, it was amusing. Cool, cool. Does it do the um? It, 
you just get better as you level up, so there's none of like the natural skill progression in between levels. It's it's like you level up and that's when you get the, your your boosts instead of like you know now your lock picking goes from fifty three to fifty four. Yeah. But I, I don't recall. You know, it's been a couple of months okay. since I played okay. the game. I, I know that's like minutia, but I, I was just interested. No, it's it's all when you level up. Okay, okay, that's one thing I do like about Skyrim. I, I do like the you know skills getting better without me necessarily leveling up. I, I do like that. That's fun. Yeah, I, I, I have my issues with that system both ways, but that's not for this conversation. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, any final thoughts on Kingdoms of Amalur? I like Star Wars The Old Republic. <laughs> you know, I, I got it. I do, too. I've been playing the heck out of it. i got to be honest. I, I'm really enjoying it. All right. You, you guys, we'll, we'll talk about the uh, – I remember the server. We'll get to that later. Are yeah. you both on the same server? No, actually, we're, he's playing on a different server because he doesn't want to do guild stuff. I, I we're, we're we were actually talking today about this about how we want to to kind of put things through and we're going to work on impressions and I'm sure we'll we'll talk on the podcast about it. He's doing his thing, I'm doing mine. Okay, right, we do have a job to do here. I mean, come on. Uh, what playing should, games is hard work. Wait, 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 Dave. Dave, you probably played the game the most out of all of us. Who should I play as? What character class? Uh, you definitely want to be a uh, one of the Sith. I mean, that's okay. no doubt. Oh, which, by the way, Rob, you know what? I I don't know if they changed it since you were complaining about it, but I don't. I, I'm playing an agent, which is the the imperial version of the smuggler. Oh, Paul, yeah, with the stealth. That's what I wanted to play as. Well, yeah. But the the cover system is not as bad as you think that it is. Yeah, it's kind of arbitrary items, but it it makes it pretty obvious when there's stuff around that you can can hide behind. And even then, you can say, "I just want to go into uh into cover mode, even if there's no cover around, to use those abilities." Oh, okay. Because when I tried to go into cover mode before the game was like, "No, there is no cover." Yeah. I, no. I would say that you probably, knowing that you like to, you know, have a lot of interaction with it, I would go with something like a Sith Warrior because you have to press a lot of buttons. I mean, it's, okay. They, okay. there's some strategy involved there. And, you know, the plot is awesome. So that's always a bonus. Okay. Rob Vader. Rob it's Vader. A, <laughs> it's a natural fit, really. So I, Wouldn't it be Darth Rob? No. <laughs> is it wrong that that's something that really does bother me? Like when um, Obi Wan Kenobi is referring to Vader as Darth. Yes, it, it, there's nothing wrong with that. that it makes why no does sense that, at all. Why does that bother me? It, okay, be, because you're you're a. You, I'm sure that you've read the extended universe stuff. Not as much as you think, actually. No, no, I, read, but, I read Heir to the Empire like when I was a kid. It, no, 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 doesn't matter. But because because we we think of the uh, yeah. as a a Sith title instead of a like a first name yeah but <laughs> Bob Vader <laughs> exactly but when when Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back and Jedi there were no other Darths it was Darth Vader yeah you're right so the Emperor right. wasn't Darth Sidious or whatever they decided his name was he was Emperor Palpatine is it I wrong? thought George Lucas had these all planned out for years yeah that's yes. why I, that's why I was <laughs> Uh, that's what I was led to believe. Is it wrong that I, I cry at the end of uh, Return of the Jedi when Vader goes to save Luke? I don't know what it is about that scene, but now you that I'm like... You know what I cry about is on my Blu-ray version that it's Hayden Christensen that it shows. Oh. <laughs> no, it's like the music swells, and when Vader just... Uh, it, but in the new Blu-ray version, does he uh, does he shout no when he goes to grab the Emperor? I don't know. I don't... I, why have to be broken? Why can't I have my Norwood? <laughs> it, it's also... I want to see a new scene in, um, 
in, in A New Hope, where Vader's like, ah, they've gone to the planet Tatooine. Lord Vader, will you be attending there? No, I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and gets everywhere. <laughs> That's right. Eddie, I'll leave this to someone else. <laughs> and then immediately a CGI elephant or some nonsense walks in front of the screen <laughs> so you can't see anything. Yeah, I think that's perfect. All right. Well, we'll definitely be talking about Old Republic. Good, good to see we uh, finished the Amalor discussion so strong there, guys. Jeez. Yeah, well, we, look, we, it's not, we spend the entire time kind of gushing over the game. Like, we, we, it's clear that we're all excited for it. And it's clear that we think that the developers behind it are are doing a good job, and that they have they have passion for the game. And I, I think that's important. If 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 anybody is going to be able to break in with a new IP that they clearly want to be on the level of your Mass Effect or your Dragon Age or things like that, if anybody's going to be able to do it, this is probably the team. I mean, it is you know he, a dream team has been assembled here with the people that they've got. You know, we'll see if they can we'll see if they can deliver. Look, right. if Dead Island can sell a million copies, oh. Amalur can sell five. I'm just putting that out there. Can sell five copies or five million? Five million. Uh, well, uh, that, I, I'm sure that's going way overboard, but you so understand. So what you're telling me is that I shouldn't buy Dead Island now that it's on Steam sale? It, what is it, like $10? Go ahead and buy it. Uh, I have too many other games to like, play. $10 is a good buy price for that game. Well, well I want to play Knights of the Old Republic. And I have the old Republic. Like $5. Yeah, I know. I already have it. I bought it like six <laughs> months ago, and I just haven't played it. So, All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for uh, talking about Amalore with me. Uh, we're going to take a brief break, and we will be back uh, with regular podcast crew for predictions for 2012. <laughs> 